So today is the announced Global Day of Jihad. Police are mobilizing across the country to keep an eye on things. There's planned protests. I think it may devolve into riots. I hope nothing more serious happens, but a lot of people are particularly worried. Not only that, it is Friday the 13th. So I don't know, it's ominous. And then tomorrow is the Ring of Fire eclipse. Everyone's kind of wondering if like, you know, I don't know all these signs, but uh, I don't know. It depends on who you are. Maybe the signs don't mean anything. It's all one big coincidence. But we're going to talk about uh, a lot having to do with the Global Day of Jihad. Obviously, the conflict that's happening uh, in Israel and Palestine, as well as what's going on with Donald Trump and the GOP contenders. We got a bunch of really awesome people. We're hanging out with Ann Coulter and Dinesh D'Souza. How's it going? Great. Good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me again. Do you want to briefly introduce yourself? I think everybody knows who you are, but... Uh, Ann Coulter, author of 13 New York Times bestsellers. Am I supposed to look at that camera? You don't have to Hello. look at it. <laughs> uh, and this is my second time uh, in the Tim Pool studio. The last time we couldn't figure out when it was. I guess it was back in March. Um, I wrote in Trump We Trust. I supported Trump from two weeks after he announced, mostly on the issue of immigration. Um, which, oh my gosh, we're seeing the results of our immigration policy right now. What a topical issue. Our immigration policy has been fantastic. You see it in protests supporting Hamas all over the country right now. Um, And then he didn't keep any of his promises. Uh, Thus, we're dealing with the vast migrant crisis because of Biden, because we don't have a wall. And that's me. (laughs) And now, actually, there's a big concern with today being this announced day of jihad or whatever. There's concerns. Uh, McCarthy and DeSantis brought this up. Terrorists could have come through the southern border. We'd have no idea. In fact, I think they've they've uh, actually stopped 160 to 200 people on the terror watch list. Oh, yeah, they do it all the time. Right. It went on during even through the Trump administration. That's why, um, again, isn't just some crazy freakish thing besides the fact that he said it at every single effing rally. We really need a wall. Um, anyone who says we're going to protect, secure the border, they all say that. They all say that. We need to secure the border. Anyone who says we need to secure the border without a wall is lying because that is the only way to secure a border. We'll get into all that. Dinesh, how's it going? Hey, I'm Dinesh D'Souza. I am um, an author, filmmaker, and about to release my uh, new film, number seven, Police State. And... Um, You know, I think the way that the new film ties in with all this is that there's been a massive intelligence failure, but not just in Israel. Our intelligence agencies were clueless also. And why were they clueless? Uh, We gave them all this police power, all this surveillance power after 9-11. I mean, me included. I plead guilty to that. But it seems that they have shifted their gaze. Instead of focusing on the jihadis abroad out to kill us and damage our allies, they're focused on some grandmom who strolled into the Capitol for like 10 minutes on January 6th and took a few photos and chatted with the cops and then was back out on the street. So I think that the police agencies of government are too busy building a police state at home to be doing their real job um, with foreign terrorists abroad. Yeah. Hannah Claire Brimelow is hanging out with us. Hey, I'm Hannah Claire Brimelow. I'm a writer for Timcast News. I'm really grateful to be here with two people who can speak to how we got here and what we do now that we're facing all this global tension. Uh, Kellen's here today pushing the buttons. And I think we're ready. It's all right. Yeah, well, uh, I think we have two really great points right now with immigration and the failure of our, our security apparatus. When... When these laws are being put in place and the Patriot Act is being signed, it's like, oh, look, we've got these terrorists who want to hurt us. You've got, you know, after 9-11. 
Now it seems like they completely they just don't even care about any of that. The border is wide open. Kevin McCarthy and Ron DeSantis are saying we could have terrorists coming through the southern border, sleeper cells, people who hate us and despise us, and they're completely ignored. What's the purpose of the Patriot Act if we're like, come on in without being checked? Now we're on this day they, they're saying is the day of global jihad. You've got a bunch of news outlets saying Hamas has called for protests. I'm like, I'm pretty sure after what they just did in Israel, killing children, this is not a, a call for protests, <laughs> right? And, and, and Dinesh brings up a good point. There, the, 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 uh, our intelligence agencies are so concerned that there are Trump supporters upset with the state of the government that they're focused on them. And this leaves us vulnerable. I mean, when you hear Christopher Ray testifying, I kind of look to see, is he joking? Like, is he because he's speaking with a straight face? They all do. Uh, Merrick Garland, too. He'll in fact, he'll talk about, oh, I have relatives who were killed in the Holocaust. I've learned the lessons of the Holocaust. We've got to abide by the rule of law. And, and so our police state is a little unique in that it marches behind the banner of law and democracy and fighting for truth and suppressing disinformation and misinformation. Normally, police states don't have to give reasons, right? Stalin, <laughs> they come to get you on the train. They just smash you on the head and they cart you away. They don't have to tell you why you're being arrested. But our police state is, I put it, I'd say it's in the making. It's under construction. So it needs a lot of lies and a lot of masquerade. And that's what we're getting from the Biden administration. And what's the objective in the end? Well, on the border, I think that their objective is this. You can't build a police state if you don't have a constituency large enough that's going to help you do that. And the Democrats don't have that yet. The country is too closely divided. So they're like, listen, if we can let in 10, 20, 30 million people, let's just say over the next 10 years, we now have a new America. We have a working majority. We're basically back to FDR in the 1930s and 40s when America was a one-party state, but the Democrats weren't the same gangsters that they are now. So I think that's their motive for the open border. They have to have a reason for it. They're not trying to import jihadis. They just don't care for the same reason they don't care about child trafficking. They know it's going on. Uh, they're not for the cartels, but they know that cartels are needed to grab people in Central and South America and bring them 2,000 miles to the border. So they're working hand in hand with these guys. But I think that is their objective. Their objective I, is political. I disagree with almost everything you just said. Um, for one thing, I mean, yes, the police state, it's not a police state, but the bad behavior by the police is very bad. It was bad what they did to the Proud Boys in New York under Donald Trump who then, by the way, disavowed the Proud Boys. You know, there's your big hero. Um, it was bad what they did to the January 6th um, protesters, at least the ones who weren't committing felonies. But I don't think you need to hook this to, the, to, to what's happening right now to say that that is very, very bad. That is bad. They should not be doing that. But as for intelligence, FDR, when he was president, didn't see um, Pearl Harbor come coming. We didn't see 9-11 coming. Um, our CIA said that the Shah was going to last for, for another 20 years. We don't need to worry about it. The next day, bam. Um, our CIA said that the Soviet Union would last for another 50 years. It'll just sort of keep going, keep going. Reagan comes in. It's over. So our intelligence has never known what's going on. The one thing we know about a CIA agent is Everyone in the room knows more than he does. Um, and, and as for what they're trying to do, 
Um, no, I don't think it is to try to get jihadis in, but I do think it's more than the jihadis. It's more than terrorists, though we're seeing the results of that right now. It is to destroy the United States of America. Um, Trump talked a good game, sadly didn't do it, and his line, a country without borders is not a country, is true. They want to change the culture of this country. If you were in New York right now, I mean, it's, you may as well be in Caracas. There are migrants all over the place. They are taking over soccer fields. They are in Central Park. Ha, I mean, haha, ha, New York, sanctuary city. Now you see what it's like. Those of us who have been living in LA have seen it for a long time. They want to destroy this country. It is the same thing that's going on in Israel. It's always the barbarians against the civilized, barbarians against the civilized. And liberals have always taken the side of the barbarians. Dennis Prager has this uh, uh, this idea he mentions. I think he calls it uh, cut flower politics or something. I, I, I'm totally butchering the idea. But his idea is that you have this beautiful flower and when you cut it from its roots, it looks beautiful for a little while before withering and dying. That's a good line. And so in the United States, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, the value, the, mor the moral framework this country rests upon is Christian. And uh, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are atheists who hold Christian moral frameworks that don't realize it. And I'm not saying this to insult or, uh, secular individuals or atheists, but Bill Maher especially. Bill Maher will talk big game about free speech, innocent until proven guilty, uh, uh, right to a speedy trial, these things literally rooted in the Bible. And if you uh, I, I, I was reading about the Constitution and where the amendments come from and where these ideas come from. And quite literally, I think the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments are rooted in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're actually rooted in Blackstone's formulation. And Blackstone's formulation is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent suffer, quite literally informed by the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, etc. I think it was, um, was it Abraham? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as well versed as uh, Dennis Prager is. But uh, I bring this up because these are our moral frameworks, how we view the world and how we protect the innocent, things like this. When you import millions of people who are not from uh, don't have these moral traditions and these ideas. I'm not mm -hmm. saying, many of them are Christian, by the way, but they don't have the same moral framework. They Absolutely weren't raised right. in the same ideas. It is very similar to what Dennis Prager says about cut flower politics or whatever the phrase he uses. Yes, that's you get the idea. These people are coming to this country, many of whom I think are good people, right? That's what Donald Trump said. Right. <laughs> but they don't have a historical tradition understanding our moral frameworks, our yes. constitution. You give that a couple generations and you are rapidly accelerating the process by which the constitution-loving Americans who believe in the you know classical republicanism, which is not the Republican Party, it is the formation of this country, the various states, yes. they're not going to have that. And they're going to vote based on that. Their yes. kids are. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the immigrants are educated by the natives. I mean, think about earlier generations of immigrants. They came here not speaking English, right? But their parents all said to them, you got to learn English because you're now in America. Now, why did their parents say that? Because they found themselves in a culture that had a set of norms, principles, a common language. Those things were held to be important. Our immigrants now, illegals included, are being educated by the left. And the left is telling them, in effect, you don't have to learn English. Why would you? In fact, it is a betrayal of your identity to become American in the traditional sense. So this is a dirty bargain between immigrants and natives. I can't put the blame entirely on one group or the other. I mean, hey, if I was a poor Venezuelan, I'd try to get the heck out of Venezuela and get my butt up here and, you know, practice my backstroke, get over the Rio Grande. I mean, I'd do all those things and I wouldn't be the bad guy. I the don't bad think you would. 
I mean, I hear people say this a lot. I don't think you would. Why I think not? you're a naturally law-abiding person. I don't think I would break into another country. I don't. Think but you're I not would breaking in, Anne. When you're not breaking in, it's when the, the laws when the, of the country, it is. But the laws of the country are being ignored by the people who are in charge of administering those laws. Well, Biden no, is there openly are border police. I mean, yes, the, the but the border don't want to abide by them. But I mean, it you've is seen you've seen the Defense Department. Uh, operatives cutting fences for people to climb over. And I they're, mean, and they're okay, o- opening Dinesh, the gate letting you, them in. I, we've also seen people running into stores with, with garbage bags and not enforcing the shoplifting laws. Have you done that, Dinesh? Have no. you gone into a 7-Eleven with a big garbage bag because eh, they're not enforcing the law? No, I'm sorry. You're a law-abiding person. You're giving too much credit to illegal immigrants. They are breaking uh, the are laws you, of this I mean, Anna, are you seriously saying that when you go to another country... Right? Do I and follow you, the law? Yes. No. When, when you you go, let's just say you or I are in, a, are in a museum in the Louvre, right? And there's a sign in French that says, "Don't enter here. These paintings are out of uh, are being reco- are, are being worked on." But there's a there's a guy sitting there, a French guy, and you see Frenchman walking by, and he waves you in. You walk right by. Nobody stops you. Nobody tells you to leave. You're in France. You're doing what the French are doing. The authorities are okay with it. And so you're going to go, wait a minute, there's a law in France, I hear they passed in Marseille, that says you can't go. No, you're going to basically... That's a terrible op- metaphor. It, it, no, it's actually a good but, metaphor. But it's, you- it's a January 6th <laughs> metaphor. There were people in the Capitol. They saw cops there. The cops didn't tell them to leave. There were no bullhorns saying, cops, get out of this open building. Door. Open door. January 6th, yes. Crossing through, swimming through the Rio Grande, no. But here, here's another... I, I think I think it's. I don't think it's one or the other. I think a lot of these people do know that they're breaking the law. You of course can, they you, do. 100% they know. You watch them running from... From border guards. <laughs> of course. However, however, there are a lot of interviews of some of these migrants published by, uh, I mean, th- this is, I think, uh, detrimental to the left's argument. There was a, a Vox published an interview where the guy, they asked one of these migrants in the caravan why he was coming to the U.S. And he said, I miss my PlayStation. One guy said, I want Buffalo Wild Wings. And it's like, these are not refugees, dude. But <laughs> they also say they, the NGOs yep. are going down and telling them. Yep. It's legal, you're allowed, but you better hurry up because you have to do it now. And, get, and here's a script. Right. Here's a so script. Th- it drives them crazy, but unfortunately, there was a long article in The New Yorker describing the scripts they have for, um, th- sometimes they'll lie about what country they're from. They'll, yep. well, this country, you're going to say you were raped. This country, you're going to say you were a slave. They have scripts. Many New York Times wrote about it. New Yorker wrote about it. And every time I bring it up, they go mental. They are handed scripts on what grab to that say. Bracelet right there. Do you see the bracelet? This one? Yep. This is uh, this was given to us by I think this might have, I'm 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 going to be so upset if I get the wrong person but I think it was Julio Rosas I'm not sure this is uh, do you guys speak Spanish I don't I don't know a you little bit it? let me see. I can't so this bracelet is what they put on people who are being trafficked to, it, it marks delivery wow we, we we not we not only have that gifted to us but uh, we were gifted uh, fake IDs that they get made oh yeah yeah so when they come they can claim to I be oh see we have a fake ID here you go here you go right here check it out. So this was one of one of the journalists. I got one in L.A. once just to see how easy it was. Um, L.A. has had a problem with immigration much longer than New York. Ha ha ha. New York. And I got to say, it was a really good fake ID. And all you do is go over to I forget the name MacArthur Park. Um, sorry, it's mentioned in a song. Walk over to MacArthur Park. They're, the way they in used to sell drugs in um, down in Union Square in, in New York City. They walk around. You know, what do you need? This is a passport Republic of Cuba fake ID that someone used. So when they came to the U.S., they could lie about where they come mm-hmm. from. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that the lies are 
being encouraged at the outset by the people who are running our government. In other words, there is, an, there is in fact an international operation. How does somebody, let's just say, move 2,000 miles and get to the U.S. border? Well, the answer is there's got to be a lot of networks along the way that are providing you with maps, with medical facilities that are giving you condoms, that are telling you if they stop you in Mexico, this is what you say. And so there is a sort of international convoy operation, particularly bringing the immigrants from deep in South America. But then you got guys coming from China, you got people coming from Iran, and it's a wink-wink operation. You don't even need, in today's technology, you can't get away. If they really wanted to stop you, they'd stop you. Yep. They don't want to stop you. And that's the point. So you're like, I produce my fake ID. They pretend it's a real ID. I claim to be a refugee. They know I'm not a refugee, but they give me a court date two years from now. They know I'm going to disappear in the country. I'm expected to disappear. So uh, what I'm getting at is there's a reciprocity going on here between an administration that wants to flout the law for its own reason and then the illegals that have their own motives. So they they better not use those condoms or they won't be able to have an anchor baby. Uh, that is the true goal. No, That's but I, the goal. But here's the ter- more terrifying reality is that all, all, the, all the reporters that we've talked to who've covered this said it's mostly young women being raped by the human traffickers. Mm-hmm. It's not... No, it's not condoms. It's they they don't care about any of that. Well, that's... Uh, to, back to your point on the um, Christian... Um, underlying of, of our freedom, and we are the freest country in the world. I mean, anyone who comes from any other country, any, any immigrant to Finland makes it less white. It's a very, very white country. Any immigrant to America makes it less free. We are shockingly the freest country in the world in so many ways that other cultures do not understand. And one of the things that our media, is, as Dinesh says, there is there is an operation going. It's, it's I've never seen so much collective lying. Um, but um, the rape cultures around the country are going to be quite a surprise for the feminists. Well, <laughs> so this, this, let me just tell forget. you, ladies, you never had it so good let's as with American men. Forget that we stopped talking about one of our most famous rape cases that come out, came out this year, which was that 10-year-old girl from Ohio yep. who was taken across the border to get an abortion. And as it turns out, she is... The daughter, I think, of uh, an illegal immigrant, the man who raped her, who's 27, was an illegal immigrant and lived with her mother. And then we just stopped talking about this case. At first, it was, this is why we need Roe. This is why this right. is so important. As soon as it gets tied to illegal immigration, they're like, we can't talk about it anymore. Yeah. We don't want to address the effect that immigration has on culture, especially if those people who are coming across the border who are not law-abiding people continue to not abide by any laws when they get here. So, yes. so I, have, uh, I have a bunch of friends live in L.A., lefty types, but I guess you would call them default liberal. Some of them are more politically active just because they work in media. And I remember having conversations with them six, seven years ago about the far left, the far left's hatred of Jews and Israel and how I don't understand how like, you know, hey, look, you're you work in Hollywood. You're you're Jewish. You understand, you know, what's going on, but you're supporting these far leftists who are on video saying they want to eradicate. I'm not uh, Israel. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, well, maybe it's a little strong language, but you had that video of Patrice Cullors of BLM saying they want to end the, the imperial project called Israel. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think that means when they say from the river to the sea? And these people are like, oh no, I don't believe any of that. Well, it's a cold splash of water in the face right now. Yes. When you're seeing in, in uh, Washington, they're chanting, there is only one solution, intifada revolution. I want to make sure I get the full quote, but They'll, they'll try and downplay it and say, no, no, intifada just means we're going to come and revolt against the government. But everybody knows what one solution means. And when they chant from the river to the sea, then when you watch what Hamas does, 
so I, I bring this up just to kind of bring it back to the, the, the greater uh, what's happening here around the world. But you made a point about it's going to be a, a wake up call to a lot of these feminists. And I'm wondering what my lefty friends who are who many of them were Jewish working in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. what, what it must have been like. And I feel bad for them. I'm not trying to drag them to wake up and to see everything they put their weight behind every every BLM post to mm-hmm. see Black Lives Matter post a picture of a, of a paraglider saying they support this. Yep. When they went and killed civilians, children indiscriminately. And we're told by uh, 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 more pro-Palestinian individuals. We had uh, Max Blumenthal on the show. I tremendous respect for him. But he said Hamas saw the music festival as a target of opportunity. And it is their intention to target civilians to use as bargaining chips against Israel. Mm-hmm. This is war. There are no rules and morality in war. People, we grew up in the United States because we are so protected and so pampered. This breeds, I, I'm going to become co- totally blunt and very direct. I'm not saying it only breeds this, but feminism, I believe, can only exist in what the United States has created. It is so safe. It is so protected. (laughs) Women, go about your business. You are free. Whereas in the majority of the world, you you see these stories of the women who go hiking in Morocco by themselves. And what happens? What we see now with Hamas is a wake-up call to many of these lefty feminist types who supported BLM to realize these people hate you. They want to kill you. And if it was not for our security apparatus, yeah, you'd be living in a very brutal, cold reality. I mean, this whole doctrine of, you know, multiculturalism, anti-colonialism, it was cooked up inside the West and it was cooked up in a Western environment. And when you step outside that environment and you apply it, you suddenly realize it means something totally different than what these sort of campus activist types think. So when you think, for example, about Hamas and this just the recent massacre, in, in some sense, it is even worse than the Nazis. And, and what I mean is not in scale, of course, but what I mean is the Nazis were sufficiently Western to realize that they had to hide their crimes, right? <laughs> the death camps, there's not Jeez, a single man. death camp that was in Germany. Think of it. They were all in the occupied territories. They were in Poland because the Nazis realized we can't tell the German people we're doing this. We got to hide it. Hamas doesn't hide it. If they kill a kid... They're laughing while they're doing it. And then they put the video themselves. They're not waiting for some journalist to expose them. They're exposing themselves. I think that shows how the Nazis were a more terrifying evil. Because by hiding it, they they seek to get away with it. But what's great, to get back to what liberals must be waking up to right now, I mean, I hope this will last and I hope they have noticed. It was the left that encouraged... BLM that encouraged these riots and and the attacks on the police and all cops are bastards and burning down police stations. They will always take the side of of the barbarians. They're always on the side of the violent. And for, for the first time now, you know, hallelujah, in Israel, we see, oh, my gosh, you're going to take the side of the civilized people this time. Your first first time. I mean, of course, BLM supports Hamas. What yep. What did you think? And I, I can we get a list of the corporations and the, the celebrities that donated to Black Lives Matter now all out supporting supporting well, Hamas? I just hope that the pushback that happened so fast, so quickly, I hope it didn't happen so quickly that they suddenly realized, oh, crap, we stepped in it and pulled back. No, tell us what you really think. Also, the DI, I'm sorry, just one more thing, but also the diversity and diversities are saying, and sorry, you guys, but white men are really SOL. Um, 
all uh, all the, I'm actually you know, a mixed race so I'm I think okay. it's no, oh, that is not going to count <laughs> it's actually worse too, yeah. um, all the police chiefs all the head of universities all the heads of symphonies I mean read read Heather McDonald's book I'm constantly interviewing her on my Substack. stack she has this book one race trumps merit and it's unbelievable how every position in, important position in this country has been replaced by usually a black woman especially at the universities and now we have at at Yale no, I'm sorry, it's Harvard. The president of the Kennedy School at Harvard is giving all these pro-Hamas statements and all the big, very wealthy, very smart, well, not that smart because they were donating until now, yep. Jewish donors saying, that's it, no more, we're cutting off donations. Something else Heather McDonald has been saying to um, rich donors, stop giving to these universities, they hate you. I'm, I, I'm actually deeply offended by the notion that we have been screaming for years, BLM is deeply anti-Semitic, and I'm not saying that in any cute kind of way. How the about left... just anti-white, anti-American? Well, for sure. But <laughs> but but to these people <laughs> who more important to me, <laughs> the, the, to, to many of these wealthy individuals who are donating to these universities, you you realize you're supporting the like very evil individuals when they say decolonize. What do you think that means? And they've been holding up those signs for a decade. And these donors to these universities are just like, I wonder what that's all about, bro. Mm -hmm. they're, they're they're talking about killing the people who are here. Yes. The, and, and and it's fascinating. When a Yale professor put out a statement just a couple days ago saying settlers are not civilians, that statement is to justify the targeting of innocent children, women and men Murder. who were massacred in their homes yeah. without warning because to them and they're chanting in the they're streets. Combatants. Exactly. The, the, the settlers is not civilians is the uh, is a variation of systemic racism. Because systemic racism is a, way of, is a way of saying, I don't have to find a racist. I don't have to find a white guy and a black guy who applied for a job. The black guy was better qualified. The white guy got the job. Hey, we found a racist, someone who did that. No, systemic racism locates the problem in a system. And similarly here, the settler, the settlements become the, the, the equivalent of the system. And so everybody in those settlements who could be innocent themselves, they could even be kids, nevertheless become occupiers. Yeah, I, I, I remember I was uh, at a protest for like, you know, Native American issues and they were saying our land was stolen. It's a sacred burial ground. And when I asked the activists, I was like, what what part of it is the sacred burial ground? And they're like, oh, all that. And I'm like, and just that, like, well, all that, too. And it basically just vague <laughs> hand gesture everywhere. <laughs> but it's sort of where my hand is pointing <laughs> to, to be to be to Far be fair. I can see these are just leftist activists saying this. Right. And so I'm not speaking on behalf of Native Americans who are concerned about what land they may have had burial, you know, cemeteries or whatever on. But the activists view was all of it. Just everything right. you can see belongs to them and should be reverted. And it's like, well, hold on. That's not reality. OK, people live here. We're not going to, you know, uh, we're not going to go to some dude's house in Pittsburgh and be like, well, I'm sorry, man. This, you know, 200 years ago, this land belonged to somebody else. So it's gone now. That's insane. Not only that, but I mean, think about it this way. The whole claim is just based upon what you got there first. I mean, does the does the first Bedouin who arrives at an oasis own the oasis? Also, they weren't there first. There was another Indian tribe oh, well, that right. they slaughtered. And before that, there was another Indian tribe that they slaughtered. They were just migrants slaughtering one another until the white man came with his guns um, and, and won a war. And that's but, how territory is taken. How, how do you think Israel was created? Not just that. When the Native Americans were warring with each other to take land, white men showed up and warred with each other over that land. And you had colonial inter-European inter right, conflict right. In, in the New World. It's just the, the world is... But only white or Western, whatever you want to say, European, 
I, I mean, there's I, I, I generally like white people, but one thing I really hate about them is this weird <laughs> suicidal gene they have. There's no other ethnic group. There are no other countries that say we suck. We suck here. You can have our country. Um, no, every other ethnic group. We're the best. Hispanics are the best. It's not even Hispanics. It's Mexicans, Ecuadorans. We crush. We kill. No, only white people. We suck. Well, here's 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 the 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 the, the dangerous thing about the left's ideology. It is only applied to the United States because when you bring the same concepts to Europe, things get really weird because they talk about indigenous rights. So what do you end up with? You end up with white identitarian groups in Europe saying indigenous rights. We completely like, agree so much for this. Yeah, they're, they're, they, they hold the signs saying indigenous people's rights and they make the same arguments the left makes here as to why they oppose immigration in Europe. And it's like, well, OK, I mean. That's the left's argument. I'd rather right? take but, Israel as our lodestar if we could do one tenth of what they do. Oh, did you see my 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 proposed solution for what's happening in the Middle East? I think it's really perfect. We take all their Palestinians. They take all our illegals. <laughs> they get drywalling. Yeah, we don't yeah. have a problem. Well, you know, I, it's interesting how they they keep describing Israel as this kind of occupying power without asking. Well, wait a minute. How did this region start out? Well, first of all, the, the Jews were there first. It was their land. Then they go into the diaspora. The Romans smash them and they take off. Uh, then you get a bunch of Muslim sh farmers and sheep herders over there. But Islam comes around in the 7th century and conquers that whole region, which was, by the way, almost all Christian. Jordan was Christian. Syria was Christian. So these are Christian lands forcibly conquered by Islam. And yet somehow Islam gets out of this sort of reputation of being an occupier, and they're somehow able to pin that on the Jews. I mean, it's just a, a, a kind of an amazing sleight of hand. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do not know a whole lot about the history. I do know that when I, I grew up uh, going to Catholic school, many of these cities were Jewish cities, like where, you know, Jerusalem, etc. And just based on that concept alone, should we go back and say, oh, no, it's not free Palestine, it's free Israel, it's right, or Judea, or whatever it was. I mean, when I was in Israel, this was last December, it's really fascinating because they're doing all this archaeological work and they're finding out that many of these um, artifacts are coming up now that are validating the Hebrew scriptures. I mean, people for a long time think about it. There was no independent evidence that Jeremiah or, you know, these prophets of the old or David or Saul ever existed. But suddenly you pull out a, you know, a medallion or you pull out a, a writing and it's like King Saul, King Solomon. You suddenly realize, wow, this, there's the historicity of the Old Testament is being affirmed by secular modern Israeli archaeologists. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, it is, it's establishing the historic claim of the Jews to Israel. Well, actually, I went to a uh, coin store and they had one of the old coins that was minted around the time of the birth of Christ and is believed. I don't know if the coin that I bought was one of the coins used by St. Casper, but it was the same currency used by St. Casper. And that's I don't my understanding is after re researching about it, buying the coin, it's it's verified historical in like a box and sealed and graded and all that stuff that Quite literally, yes. There was a guy. He was given currency. It was he was it, was it was minted for him so they could fund his trip. Don't know if that specific coin was used by him, but around this time, uh, I gifted that to Seamus because I thought it was you know it it meant something historically. But yeah, generally this stuff happened, right? Whether or not you believe in the the, the greater faith based narratives of the of the religions or whatever is is something else. But these people were here. They did these things.
Exactly. I mean, that's the point. They control it, and they're the civilized force there now. Yeah. But the left Uh, is always against civilization. And the left is inconsistent. I mean, there is a lot of brutality in that region that the left doesn't care about, right? Like, Coptic Christians are murdered in Egypt regularly. Their their churches are bombed, their priests are murdered, and we never hear the left saying, this is terrible, we should go in for this underdog, right? They just pretend it doesn't happen. And I wonder if that's because they're ignorant on the uh, complexity of, of the no. region, or if it's because <laughs> it can't they just... Be. I mean, <laughs> Anne is right about this, because think about it. You've got you got blacks who are gunned down by other blacks in Chicago every day. Clearly, people are not ignorant about that. <laughs> but at the same time, they act like that's not happening either. But then it's just, how, right. do they, how do they justify? I mean, I don't think they do. But is there a way for them to justify to these donors at Harvard why they pick some sides and not others? Because they're completely, they're completely inconsistent in how well, they enforce usually this theoretical. The, the big donors wouldn't care. They're going to take the side of the violent ones, of the primitive ones. I mean, they, it's kind of why they don't have cognitive dissonance. They are the, the donors are the top of the heap of the civilization, the civilized w- world. But... Um, you know, it's just cute. It's fun. They don't BLM. Oh, I'll write a check now. Now that it comes to something, you know, close to home, um, and, I, I, and this I have was a just a hideous, this. hideous <laughs> attack on Israel. I mean, I don't think it matters whether it was how how far it goes back. You don't slaughter civilians like and they, this, and they lie about everything. Here, I'll tell you my challenge. They do I'm, lie. The the left lies about everything endlessly. It is it is mind numbing. Yes. Every day I have to track the stuff, and you know, as as someone who's somewhat you know, years ago, I come into, hey, the story's happening. It was 2014, Protective Edge. I knew very little about Israel-Palestine, and I'm trying to understand what's going on. And I get these leftists saying, look, Israel indiscriminately bombs. They kill civilians, and these poor Palestinians are in an open-air prison. And I'm like, interesting. And then I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I knew a journalist who was fair and balanced, and he's like, I've been to Israel. Here's what I saw. It was horrifying. The rockets were exploding. I went to Palestine. It was horrifying. Here's what I saw. And I'm like, that's interesting. I was like, maybe this truth is closer to the middle. And then what happens? Half the stories I heard about Palestine were all lies. They, they're, they're lying about what Israel actually did. And then it's like, okay, is Israel innocent? Well, it's war. So there's going to be collateral damage and problems. But every single time it comes to these arguments, the left lies to me. Mm-hmm. I have no choice but to be like, I must give Israel the benefit of the doubt. Because you keep lying about everything. Right. And, and Israel may be lying too, but it seems like they're lying less than you're lying. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do other than say, <laughs> yes. when Hamas goes and kills a bunch of women and children, and I'm told by the pro-Palestinian side that, well, yes, that's, that's a target of opportunity. They're doing that to gain leverage and capture people and drag them back to Gaza as bargaining chips. I'm like, so you admit your tactic is to indiscriminately target civilians? Well, Israel's saying they're trying not to target civilians, and it's unfortunate that it happens. I'm sorry. Like, it sounds like you guys are evil. Right. Sure. I mean, there's there's that video on social media of the Palestinian parent who's telling his kid to go throw the rock. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell the soldiers are really uncomfortable because the the the, the parent is is egging his kid on, and he's telling the Israeli guy, "Shoot the kid! Shoot the kid!" It's almost like he's looking for a propaganda with his own kid. I mean, it's almost inconceivable. Uh, a point about these donors, though, because it doesn't make sense that you got all these rich guys who are doing super well. They're multimillionaires. Why they would fund, quote, barbarism. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Why are they continuing to give to these universities? And I think it is because uh, the left has has sort of captured 
the trophies of high culture, the, the Lincoln Center. And so in a, in a capitalist society, you've got people who do really well, they make a lot of money, but they always have this little anxiety that they don't have culture. And so they want to buy culture. And the way you buy culture is you give money to Harvard and then you get on the board or you get on the board of the Lincoln Center and you don't really care what they stand for, what they do. You walk into the museum, you can't understand any of the art, but the point is you don't want to be seen as a guy who's a barbarian and a Philistine and you don't know what art is. So you're like, I need to be on the board of the Lincoln Center and then I will be seen as not only a rich guy, but a very cultured guy. So There's my- something to that, but they also, most of them did go to the temples of high culture like Harvard and Yale. Um, and I, I don't know, I see too many Black Lives Matter signs. And what's that one? In this house, we oh, yeah. <laughs> hung up, you know, in the Hamptons, in, in places like Palm Beach, huge, you know, Black Lives Matter. That That isn't, that is... That is them taking us. Yeah, it's chic. It's definitely chic, but um, it's always well, on the side of the barbarians and they, the violent. They, That's how they show how cool they are and how rich they are because they don't need to worry about what you were saying about civilized society. They don't need the police. They don't need. They live a safe life, so they have the luxury of pretending to support of promoting these violence are, in these someone are else's life. Castro. These <laughs> Black are, Lives Matter. They are unlearned, unworldly naive, unsophisticated individuals who blindly march along with whatever they think the narrative is so they can fit in. Many of these people know what they're doing is wrong, but are scared to speak out against it. Those are cowards and they provide donations to this. But I think the simple thing is, you know, you made the joke about, uh, you know, Palestine will take all the Palestinians. They can have the illegal immigrants. The, a joke we have to make is we'll take the Venezuelans if they take our leftists. Because <laughs> the people in Venezuela fleeing leftism at the very least will... <laughs> But I'm, but it's a joke, right? <laughs> and so the issue is these they voted for it. These left like it was imposed on them in Venezuela. And now they're they running. They voted it. for it. But the leftists in the United States have never been to Venezuela. And, and the funny thing, you take an American leftist and bring them to Caracas, they'll, they'll they may they'll likely be murdered. When I went down, certainly to, now, I went, yeah. I went down to Venezuela. Oh yeah, I went down to Venezuela. I think uh, nine years ago with Vice. And uh, we were covering the uprising that was happening. It was interesting. It was the wealthier individuals protesting against the government because their lives were being destroyed mm-hmm. by these policies. And four or five times, someone would walk up to me and go, where are you from? And I know what happens if I say America. So I would say Vice magazine. And they would say, what, no, where are you from? I'm like, oh, Vice is a Canadian magazine. And they'd walk away. If I said I'm, a, I'm an American, I'm going to get uh, something bad's going to happen. So that's nice. So I'm glad they've, they're all here now. But that but, makes me feel much better. No, but if but, you were but, there, then you know, and this is why, I, I mean, sometimes I think it can be flip and unfair. A lot of New Yorkers didn't vote for the government. A lot of Los Angelinos didn't vote for the government. So, yeah, I, I have sympathy for them. I'm one of them. But well, the you joke- know that in this case, what I'm saying about how they voted for it, they have masses of poor people. And Hugo Chavez said, I'm going to take the property of the rich and I'm going to give it to you guys. And they're all out there with their red hats. And they were moving poor people onto the golf courses and taking over golf. And the poor, yay, yay. And they loved this. this. It's like Eva Perone. This is not true. None of this is true. I'm I'm actually married to Venezuela. I I know this history very well. Hugo Chavez came in in the 1990s and, and he said the exact opposite. 
He ran as a third party candidate as a kind of Ross Perot. And he said, I am not a socialist. I am pro-business. He goes, both parties are corrupt, which wow. was true. And he said, I will steer a middle course. And a lot of Venezuelans, by the way, Venezuela was not a desperately poor country. This was not India. They were wealthy, right? Venezuela was in some ways wealthier oil. than the United States with oil wealth. Yeah. Uh, Debbie, my wife, when she grew up, she says when she came from Venezuela, Caracas, to the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, she thought she was moving to a third world country. Wow. She, because she walked in and there was like, she's like, what kind of... You know, what kind of houses are here? It's all so ramshackled and run down and people are like rednecks, you know. And anyway, the point is, uh, Hugo Chavez pulled a, a fast one. And now the moment he got in, he allied with Castro. Uh, now, he always had those roots, but he didn't campaign on that. Wow. And while they had a free election in Venezuela in the 1990s, they have not had a free election since. I mean, they have been rigging the elections Openly. Well, it may have been rigged, but when he ran for re-election, he absolutely ran on taking from the rich and giving to the poor. And did your wife ever look around in Caracas because the poor people way outnumber the rich? And that, by the way, I think it's an important point that you make. It's, a, it's not a, a good way. It's not the American way. What set, what set America apart from most other countries, and especially Latin America for its entire existence, was this vast, vast, vast middle class. Everybody had a pretty high standard of living. And by bringing in the third world, we're going to end up like that with your rich wife and probably everyone in this room in this tiny little strata and then masses and masses of peasants. Well, I mean, Venezuela was a country that ha it does have more poor people than rich people, for sure. Um, and so you, so Hugo Chavez was able to exploit that division. Well, I think that's true everywhere. That's true everywhere. Yeah. But also, it wasn't in this country. No, it was a vast middle class, and we're losing that now. And that is going to help a a party that yeah. will do things like your police state stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with that for sure in this country. Um, and um, But look, there are middle classes emerging in other countries, and, and middle classes by themselves don't protect countries. I mean, India now has a big middle class. It didn't when I was a kid. India was a small sliver of rich people and then a giant group of poor people. But now there are quite two or 300 million middle class people How in India. How are they able to facilitate that? I mean, what, well, I what mean, are they doing that Venezuela is not? India has benefited, as China has, from this massive globalization where, by and large, the labor pool and the and the sort of educated pool were deployed to provide both menial work but also intelligent work for lower cost. And so, you know, for the last 30 years, people are talking about the India price and the China price. In other words, you can make steel over here or you can make it in China for half of that. And the same has been true of India. India has been providing, as you know, you know, you call the airlines, you get some Indian guy. But why? It's because that guy's charging one third in India to what it would cost to hire a guy here. So that's globalization it's a, it's in that a, sense has been very good for India. It's a, it's a labor market drug addiction. It's, it's, a, it's destroying us. It is. And, um, and everyone complains about it. Every, everyone complains about we can't get customer service anymore. Yes. We can't solve our problems. You, you, you finally get someone on the phone and they don't understand what you're talking about and they can't help you because they're thousands of miles away. And I, I dealt with this recently when United Airlines in the middle of the night changed my flight to a different flight, bumping me from first to coach in the back without telling me. And I'm, Whoa, it yeah, sounds like Delta. In, like, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm flying back after a medical trip. I have to work first thing in the morning. There's a reason I fly first class. I have to sleep. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not getting work done. Yeah. And without telling me they switch my flight, it's a first world problem. Totally fine. Totally get it. Look at me complaining about my first class ticket. But I called to get some assistance. 
Not a single person could help me. There's no employees. Did you ever get an explanation? Nope. Well, they said that there was the the uh, one of the connecting flights was delayed, but but there was no reason for them to switch my right. flight. So I was originally flying um, from Vegas to I think like Houston to D.C. and there were options in uh, Houston. I think it was uh, was it Houston? I don't know. It's, it, or was it Dallas? Whatever. Whatever one's the really big hub. Dallas. And uh, yeah, was it Dallas? There's a bunch of options I could have taken. They instead diverted me to Denver without telling me, and so that's just an annoyance. Don't you think a lot of this, I mean, it is a huge, huge problem. I think we've all experienced the lack of employees. Isn't this still an after effect from COVID and paying people to stay home and do nothing? That uh, was a pretty devastating year. And it seems to me that is when it started. I I agree. But I mean, the trope of someone calling customer service and getting someone in India, Turkey or China or something like this has been around for a really long time. I mean, and not just customer service. I mean, you walk into you walk into a store or a restaurant you, don't get, you don't get the idea that anybody wants to help you. Yeah, uh, You're looking for shoes. It's kind of like you're on your own. You find your shoes mm-hmm. and then you have to chase down somebody. The employees are avoiding them. eye contact with you. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, if you me. see an employee, I mostly just see not as many employees as they need. I mean, it shows you how co- uh, the shutdowns, which totally didn't need to happen. Also, I don't know if you saw this is in yesterday's New York Times, ACT, that's another, there's SAT and ACT. ACT scores are down. But shockingly, yeah. like never before. I mean, sometimes they go up, they go down. We're always supposed to be- There's a um, huge plummet in the last five, five years this. and they're the lowest and since 1981. 43% could not pass, a, a par- I didn't take ACT, I'm SAT side of the country. But there are five different- um, sections of it like history, mm-hmm. math, English, that sort of thing. Forty-three percent couldn't even get to qualified on those five, yeah. and they're wow. they're saying it's COVID. I think you got to throw in immigration. I, I, I think, I, it's I think well, it's not just it's COVID and it's immigration, but I think it's also just the the universities have have um, these are high school relinc- kids. high school kids. But I mean, merit is no longer a central define defining concept of America. When and, I came and, to America, I thought of myself as, listen, the beauty of America is you can start out at the bottom of the ladder. And of course, I'd come with like 500 bucks in my pocket. I'm like, you, you know, but if you're smart, you're hardworking, you're creative, you come up with new ideas, mm-hmm. merit is going to be the transmission belt that's going to move you ahead. Who can say that with a straight face today? Right. No, in they, fact, they, I think they prefer people who are not talented. I think all of the schools and public schools cater to the lowest common denominator in class. I mean, you see schools cutting gifted and talented programs across the board. Yes. There is a reason that students who are qualified for college do not want to go. It's not a system of promise. It's just credentialism that actually doesn't cater to helping them achieve anything. Yes, we, 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 we ought to be finding the Elon Musks and Peter Thiels and putting all of our money into them. But instead, well, we I have mean, endless <laughs> programs for kids are, and put the square block in the red hole. Well, we don't offer them any <laughs> alternatives, right? Like if you are not someone who wants to go to college, that's sort of it. Your school is then saying, well, you're hurting our numbers because it looks better for us oh, to the government if we enroll in college. Not not go to college. You can Agreed. make so much more money not going to college. College, you, everybody knows it's a four-year vacation. You learn nothing. The only reason- And you go into massive amounts of debt. Charge to, well, the only reason people do that is the Supreme Court ruled IQ tests unconstitutional. You could give any employee a five-minute IQ test, and that will teach you everything you need to know for any job, whether it's busboy, you always want the smarter person for the job. What? But um, you can't do that. The SAT and ACT are, are, are basically IQ tests. So 
what you are doing is paying $200,000 to get around the Supreme Court's rule that the employer can't give you an IQ test. So just take the SAT and submit that to your employer. So uh, a buddy of mine was running a, a mid-size marketing firm. He had a couple dozen clients. And he need, as he was expanding, he needed to hire people to manage the social media platforms of these various restaurants and businesses. So, of course, he goes on various job posting boards and says, here's what we're looking for, blah, 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 college degree required. He ended up firing, you know, several people every week, problems, phone call. What do I do? They're panicking. This image was offending someone. What do I do? And he's just like, figure it out. You're a social media manager. This is your job. This is why we, we look for people with expertise. And that's fired, 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 fired. Finally, he's running out of money because he's gone through so many employees. So he posts on Craigslist and he gets a couple applications from some people. I think they were just high school grads. They may have dropped out. And they said they had moved to California to pursue acting. And he said, well, they're willing to get paid substantially less. And so at this point, with the, how much money I've got left wasting money on these people, I'm going to hire them. So then he tells me that the first week they're there, he gets not a single text or phone call. He gets worried. He's like, what, what's going on? <laughs> he comes into the office at the end of the day, how things are going. Like, everything's good, boss. Yep. And yep. he's like, uh, no problems. Oh, there was a problem with one of the companies. They, they were upset about one of the photos. We took care of it. And he was like, you took care of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just set him up. We asked him what the issue was. We, we gave him some solutions. And then we implemented it. There was nothing to worry about. <laughs> and he said to me, here's the thing. These kids who spent their whole lives going to, going to school and being told what to do, couldn't solve problems because whenever they had a problem, they were told what to do. And being patted on the head for whatever they did. Participation awards. But these two people that were had moved to California to pursue acting were individuals who decided what was right for themselves yes. and were going to pursue their own vision. And it's like, I think that transits in the workplace. These are people who are like, I'll figure it out. Whereas the college kids were like, please tell me what to do. And so there you go. Yeah, I mean, the problem isn't just that the college kids are not street smart and don't have real world experience. It is also that there's just been a rapid decline of just the baseline level of knowledge. I mean, what a teacher could walk into and expect kids to already know. Like, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to talk about the Federalist Papers. You know, they're written by this guy, Publius. And then right now you can't, people are like, what? Publius, what? You know, and then you've got to explain, well, there were these three guys and they came together and they decided to write. So what I'm getting at is that college has become remedial. College you know, is basically like the ninth grade. All right. But you know, right. You, you, here's the issue. When uh, when I was a kid growing up, my family opened a coffee shop. So I'm between nine and 11 years old. I am surrounded by no one but adults uh, on the weekends when I would work with. The, uh, so I'd be working the register. I'd be making coffee. I'm like 10. Some customers would complain. Why is there a 10 year old? <laughs> but what do I hear? I hear a 24 year old guy being like, I can't stand these Republicans right now. We got and they're, they're saying stuff. And that's what I'm hearing as a kid. So what's happening is as a child, I'm learning from adults. I'm learning how to be an adult from adults. What we've started doing with schools is we're having children learn how to be adults from other children. <laughs> What's happening now, and one of the reasons I think scores are going down is not just the COVID lockdowns. It's that, why is it that kids don't know about the Federalist Papers? When I was a little kid, I'd go, I'd be, hang, I'd, my parents would bring me to a movie or I'd watch a TV show. I'm sitting on the couch with my dad, Star Trek, The Next Generation is on. The ideas that are being conveyed to me are, are adult concepts. Now kids are on social media where all their culture is from other children who don't know anything either. So what's relevant to them is, oh, that dude threw a pie at that other guy. Whereas when I was growing up, it was I went and saw that movie with Mel Gibson, you know, and he was fighting the American Revolution. Aren't yeah, I, the I, games different? I think the games 
I'm not a, an, an 11 year old boy, but all of the games they play, it seems to me there's a lot of attacks on social media and I'm suspicious of them because every new like fun entertainment that's come along has been blamed for the, whether it's television or Hollywood or you know the hula hoop. Um, so I'm a little suspicious of the attacks on social media and the gaming stuff seems like even better than watching well, I don't know, brave oh, the, the, because it, it you is. know you're, it, uh, there's the incentive, there are the rewards, there's solving. the coordination, and it's at least of the um, 11 year old boys I know, they're they're not just watching um, I don't know the Kardashians, nothing like that at all. It's the gaming stuff, and I think that's probably better than school. Oh, in a lot of ways. When I when I was growing up, I uh, two games that I played: Colonization, Sid Meier's Colonization, and Civilization. Colonization is a uh, uh, it's a game where you choose England, France, the Netherlands, or Spain. You then are dispatched to the New World in 1492 or whatever, and you have little boats and you build colonies and you fight with Native Americans. I want to play this now. It is it is to this day. <laughs> this is like 1993 or whatever. To this day, it's still a really, really, really good game. As uh, if you choose Spain, you get a bonus attacking Native Americans. It's like very brutal, and then. <laughs> You recruit founding fathers, and so I'm learning about. All, I'm 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 nine wow. years old. I mean, even think about the old Monopoly. I mean, it was sort of a, a an education to play that game. Mm -hmm. You begin yeah. to learn, you know, the sort of motives of capitalism. And you build a hotel, <laughs> and you block some other guy who's trying to encroach on your neighborhood. <laughs> the problem, I think, is not just that the kids don't want to be like their parents. The parents want to be like the kids. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the other side of it. And so this sort of these massive consultations that parents have with young kids to, you know, where do you want to go to dinner? What play should we go to see? And so on. And so you've just got a complete inversion of the normal relationship of young people wanting to grow up and learn what it means to be an adult. I, I wonder about this. Uh, when I was at Blink-182 just has, has been coming out with new music and these guys are, are just entering their 50s. So they're very old and they're, you know. Uh, one, wow. Yeah. Just... Pop, pop punk music. <laughs> and uh, one of the one of the lines in their song that came out last year is I'm a punk rock kid. And I'm like, bro, you're 50. I'm like, I'm, I'm a fan. I've been, I've been a fan of Blink-182 since I was a kid. But like, you're 50. You're not a punk rock kid. Yeah. But I get, I get what he's saying. He's not necessarily saying he's a child. But uh, when I was younger, when I was like 10, Blink-182, uh, or uh, how old was I? Like 12 or something. Enema of the State comes out. And I was learning all these songs on the guitar. But I very quickly realized when in one of their songs, they say like, mom and dad hold the key to instant slavery. And I'm like, wait, these guys are in their mid-20s. I'm like 13. I'm like, why is this 25-year-old guy complaining about his mom? And that's when, at a very young age, I was like, they're pandering to me. They're lying. And uh, I shouldn't say lying, but it's like, these are adults making content for children. I think a component of that, there is the, some, some, I don't know why this is, there is a desire among many adults to, like you said, they want to be like the kids. And I'm like, why? You should be like the adults, right? You know, there, there's a constant desire. I guess it's because- They're afraid of aging, right? I mean, that that's what it is. I don't think that happens I think it as is. much as I think people- No, I think it's money. I think it's there is a complete fear of responsibility. And so there's a, a need that someone else is to blame for everything that goes wrong. I think that they want to stay these adult children. I mean, the term adulting is sort of hilarious, Ugh. but also gross, right? You know, not you having get, kids, there's nothing I love more than sitting around and giving people child rearing tips. But I really <laughs> do not think this I can't is wait true. For 
your parenting book. I know lots of parents. I don't know anybody who, I'm sure there are bad parents out there. I am sure that is true, but there's bad anything. There have always been bad parents. But there, the, there's the trope of the trying to be the cool mom, trying to be the cool dad. You know, I'm hip, I'm with it. They're, I don't think that's new. Well, well I mean, not, uh, of course not. It, it's, you but, know, let's look back, looks back at movies. Gonna, let's just say over I the past. Can I get a coffee? I'm sorry. Movies oh, yeah. over the past 30 years. We have a, a, a coffee machine over there. Sorry. Oh, know. sure. Okay. <laughs> if we have, you know, see if you can make it work. You were, we're saying? We're still rolling, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, look at the themes of movies over the past three decades. By and large, what you have is you've got some parents and they're they're either... They're either wicked or they're uncool. Mm -hmm. They're one or the other. And there's, there's a problem that has to be solved. <laughs> but it's never going to be some dad who solves it. If, if it's going to be an adult, it's going to be the mom. So that's the, 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 the nod to feminism. Yeah. But normally it's going to be solved by the kid. Right. I mean, I, I find this really interesting because there is a phase of development where, especially for young men, they naturally start testing their dad right this is something that they their, their, their neurobiology is wired to do and so in some ways it's natural that there are coming of age stories would have you know dads who eventually have to sort of step back and their their son takes leadership or whatever it is similar with women uh but i think more than anything no one wants to be the adult in any of these situations and there's sort of a desire of course parents want to relate to their kids and be cool i don't think that's a bad thing i just think ultimately part of it is this fear of responsibility this this desire to put off having to accept that things are hard i mean this is the same thing the same justification people have for not having children at all i just like my lifestyle the way it is and i don't want to interact with you know children and they're sticky and they'll they'll take up my time and resources they there's no yeah they are sticky <laughs> but <laughs> they ultimately give you something that is worth having i mean your father i think, I think maybe ultimately yeah, as much Go as we it. don't want to um sorry Anne's leaving us as i, I rant about things uh the as much as we don't want to just uh you know no one wants to grow up and have to do hard things on the hand the hard things are what make life worth living and i think this is this infantilization of american culture that makes it so college is actually just a long daycare i can't tell you how many women i knew who are like I'm going to get my master's because I'm not ready to get a job and be an adult. So there's been another year dependent on their parents if their parents can't afford it or going into massive amounts of debt that they don't know how they're going to pay off. It's ridiculous. I mean, the aging point that you mentioned, I mean, Anne was, was, was sort of dismissive, but I, I think it's actually true because I think that in a culture that values uh, just youth and appearance as opposed to wisdom. Because think about it, in the old days you got older, but who cared because the old guys ran the society, they ran yeah. all the corporations, they were the wise people, they told everybody else what to do. So who cares if you have some wrinkles when you're, you're the boss of everything? But in a society where technology is comes first to the young and the old people are, quote, out of it, in a society where there's a lot of emphasis on appearance, then you, you find this fact that as people get older, and this is especially women, they're going to fight to sort of hang on to their 30s and hang on to their 40s and so on. And so I think that that is a reason why they, they defer to the sort of cultural superiority of the young because the young are setting the tone. And even they accept so that's, it. This is going to change. Because millennials are not having kids, because there's just substantially less children happening. There's, there, there, one of the, I, I thought about why it is that Mute, uh, these bands will pander to the younger generation. Why is it that a band in their 20s are going to write songs for children? There are more children. There's more money to be made. Adults, less likely to go out to shows and, and, and buy, buy CDs. Children, more likely to get their parents to do it for them. Parents are now shifting their spending towards the kids. There are more kids than... The, so uh, let's say... just I'm just going to give you flat, arbitrary numbers. Let's say there are 100 
Gen Xers, there should be 200 millennials, right? Or there, there should be like 150 is she not going So uh, let's say, or, or, or at least 100, but typically it was two and a half kids. So for, for every hundred adults, that's 50 couples, you're going to get, you'll, you'll have 150 kids. That means if you're making a CD, you will make more money selling it to the children who are going to get their parents to buy it for them than you would targeting the parents. There are less of them. But as millennials and, and Gen Z likely will have less and less kids, there, there's actually a chart that I was looking at showing the population growth and it's, it's rounding off. There's the baby boom and then it's shrinking. This means that if you're putting on an event, let's say you're a promoter and you want to do a big music festival, what bands are you going to book? Are you going to book the band that's going to attract Gen Z and Gen Alpha? Why? There's less of them. If you go for the Gen X millennial uh, bands, these are older, these are bands like Blink-182, they're nearing their 50s. You are going to sell more tickets than you would if you sold to the younger generation. So this is going to cause a shift, I think, in terms of popular culture where it used to be... You know, the Abraham Abraham Simpson meme where he's talking to a young Homer and he says, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. And now what it is is scary to me and it'll happen to you, too. Uh, not anymore. I don't think now, that, that's why Blink-182 nearing. I think Mark is 50. I think uh, Tom DeLonge is like 48. Uh, Travis is 47. They put out a new album and it's already one of their biggest hits. Huh. So I think uh, the, uh, one of the songs they put out uh, was their fourth biggest hit of their careers. Huh. And, and Blink-182 peaked. We thought. In like 2003, yeah. when they put off Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was the name of their album. Very silly. And now they're back and they're doing this nostalgia song called One More Time where it's like showing old clips of them when they were very young or whatever. But because of the internet and because of the, the way the population trend is happening, it's not so much that uh, they'll make more than they did then. It's that in terms of how many hits are they going to get and are they going to be on the top of the charts? Yes, they put out a song and it reached, uh, 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 it was like a top 10 or I, I don't know, it was, a, it was a number one single or whatever. 20, 30 years later, after the, after the height of their success, they're back. And it's, it, it's how many people are going to listen to music and will this result in a gold record, a platinum record and sales? There are not enough young people relative to how these, the, so there's, there's more young people today, of course, older people die, but it's not at the degree of expansion as it used to be. I think this trend is going to change the way things develop culturally and we're seeing it. How much of the Blink-182, and you're you're more knowledgeable than I am, but how much of their current sort of revival is time to uh, Travis Barker's personal life, right? Like, so he's, he's now married to Kardashian. So there's a whole group of people who probably may have listened to Blink-182, may not have, who are now interested in what he's doing. His son is dating uh, one of the D'Amelio sisters, who is this huge TikTok star. They are able to sort of re-emerge into public knowledge in a way that I don't know that everyone could because of these social connections. That oh, they that's have. a good point. No, I, yeah. I, look, uh, Metric just put out their second album in like a year and a half. Metric's not nearly as big as Blink-182, but... Um, to date Khloe Kardashian. Not, yeah, and not, not even exactly. that. So I think it's also the internet has changed the way we can distribute and yeah. build fan bases. Back in the day, record label's going to say, how many sales are we getting on this album? We're not getting that many. People are getting older. They're buying less music. They're listening to music they remember from when they were kids. And they're spending money on their kids. The kids want new music for a younger generation. So what happens is you eventually say, I wonder whatever happened to that band. Well, yeah, it's the, the record labels are like, we're not going to invest in a fading rock band. With the internet now, they're like, no, their fan base has never left. Right. And their fan base wants new music. And it's not even purchased anymore. It's streaming. So as long as you can keep the, the, the treadmill rolling, they'll keep producing more and more music. Now you have bands that are in their 50s 
producing music for the same demographic. Yeah. It's 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 I think it's causing a hard cultural like out like an ossification. We're I not just seeing it like develop. the Internet. The main most important change I think the Internet made to music was um, for the young kids out there. You used to have to buy an entire CD that sucked for one, <laughs> one good, good song. song. <laughs> Man, they ran that scam for a long time. And but, now <laughs> But there are tons of albums that it's just like, man, they had so many good songs on an album like that. That's that, true. And a lot of these songs didn't yeah, make Yeah, they it. were called Greatest Hits. <laughs> no, like uh, 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 Melan uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by uh, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Had you're, you're right. Actually, as we got closer to the internet, they got better. Yeah. I mean, but it's just, there are good bands and there are bad bands. And there were bad <laughs> bands that had one good song and they'd sell you the whole album. But then there were good bands well, where it's like that whole I think the other good. factor is that, and this is what technology has changed, is that a bad band could survive in a small town because there was nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. So you'd okay. have to listen to that music because that was the only music around. But the moment you can now tap into, and this, this applies, by the way, to lots of other things. You, you know, you let's say pastors. You could used to be four churches in the town, and you know they're all probably horrible, but that's okay. That's all you get. But, but now, now you can live stream a service, right? For now, exactly, you could listen to a pastor who's giving speaking to the whole country or perhaps the whole world. Well, let's 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 bring this uh, to to the political to world. Social media censorship. To, so, <laughs> exactly. Ask yourself, why is it that Ocasio Cortez and the squad members get elected? First, immigration. Everything no. comes back to immigration. Of course, it is. We it's dumped one hundred thousand, two hundred thousand Somalis. That's not what happened, Minnesota. Now, that may be for Ilhan Omar to a great degree, yes. Yeah. But, but you look at look at their donations, and why is it that they out fundraise their more uh, establishment Democrat counterparts? What happens is twenty years ago, you would have to go to your community and fundraise. AOC does not do this. <clears throat> the squad members overwhelmingly get their money from outside their districts. So let's say you live in a small town with no internet. This is 20 years ago. You go door to door and you ask everyone for a dollar. 99 out of the 100 people all say we are fairly moderate individuals. And you say, okay, if I want to raise money, I have to work on behalf of those 99. The one crazy person runs out screaming, demanding no borders and saying, no borders. This country is an evil empire and they don't like Israel and all that stuff. And you're like, I don't need their dollar. Okay, I, 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 I have to work towards my constituency. That's not what AOC does. With the internet, AOC asks the, that one crazy person in every city to contribute to her campaign, which gets her hundreds of thousands of dollars. She represents no one. But with all of that money she gained from everyone outside the district, she outcompetes, say, a Crowley. In a district that is overwhelmingly She's Democrat. She's kind of a celebrity. She, I, I, mean, I don't say that in a flattering a way. But her followers are not in her district. But she, she's a celebrity. But among that always happened once you have the name. Now she's a celebrity. This would happen with or without. It happened to every single candidate who ran against Jesse Helms. All the money came from Hollywood and everybody knew it. And, and here's the issue. If you had to pander to Hollywood, you would be pandering to a specific ideology. Now, no, they just had more money. I mean, liberals across the country. No, no, you're donating to anyone you, running and, against and, Jesse and, Helms. You and missed you, my point. And you had to go to Hollywood and say, and like, what does you Hollywood didn't have want? You to do it. You just say, I'm running against Jesse Helms. People well, sure, sure. open their checkbooks. I, I think a factor here is the is the radicalization of educated, uh, elite college, rich whites. I mean, that's a fact because 
AOC, Cori Bush, all these people are pandering to that constituency because that's the constituency that has the dollars. So this has occurred through a, a mechanism of indoctrination stretching through the universities and the media for 30 years. But the white educated class is the real constituency of BLM. It really I really doubt yeah, AOC or Ilhan Omar get a lot from the big donors we talk about. No, they don't. They, they, they're getting money from yeah. fringe lunatics across the country that normally have and no voice. And they're co-religionists. I think yep. you can make a comparison to what you're saying about buying CDs. You know, there's one song you like, and so you buy the whole CD. I think that a lot of the people who campaign right now know they just need to hit one talking point or one policy, especially as we go into a presidential election when these, you know, debate stages are so crowded. They just need one soundbite that will make one, you know, one more donor join their... their their camp right yeah it doesn't you don't need to be a fully formed excellent cd you just need to be a one-hit wonder and they'll buy the entire package yes well i think that's true generally i mean what do you what do you think dinesh you, you've you've were we've seen a lot of the same presidential campaigns um it seems to me you need like three issues if you're running for president and more than that and we forget you should have a competent answer you know if you're asked about water policy in flint but what you are running on, what you're campaigning on, one, two, three issues are basically, I think, the maximum you should have. Uh, I agree. I mean, Lincoln ran on one issue, which right. was, <laughs> I mean, he basically ran on, I will stop the extension of slavery cold in its tracks. And that's what I'm running on. And you could, you could fault him on a whole bunch of other issues, but essentially he's like, that is the issue that matters right now. So I think part of political skill is to be able to identify and then frame that issue in a way that forces people to make a choice your way. Mm -hmm. And that's how you, that's how you travel so as a candidate. What do you guys think is going to happen uh, next year? And uh, I, don't, I, I, I know you're more pro DeSantis. Are you for DeSantis explicitly? Um. Yeah, I mean, give me another option, but Trump. wow, he does everything Trump said he was going to do and didn't do. Um, and I mean, he's just been the energizer bunny. He's unbelievably competent. He knows what's going on. I don't care that about the charisma issue. And, you know, I was just thinking about this this week because um, I wrote about for my column, which is at my Substack .substack com. Sorry, I haven't mentioned that one time, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> PoliceStateFilm.net. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, actually, now's the best time to announce it. But there was it. a sick story that you you guys might might have heard about. It was just is so sick in New York City this this week. There was a judge. There were these sick parents who were beating their their little three week old um, when she was three weeks old, had broken ankles, brain hemorrhage, broken skull um three weeks old so social workers put her into foster care um she they come up again in, in before a judge and the social workers or child care advocates whatever they're begging the judge do not send her back to these parents do not send her back and the judge says no we need family reunification family president so he sent the next day they give her the fatal blow she dies in the hospital two days later um and it, it brought me back to when I worked in, in Congress in the U.S. Senate, it was after the 1994 election. And you three, but you aren't, are too young to remember this. Life is really fun when Republicans win elections. And in 1994, 
Man, that was unbelievable. Not only do Republicans take Congress for the first time in 40 years, but gigantic majorities in the House and the Senate. We had so many Republicans in the Senate that they had to, the way your offices are assigned, they go to what your your previous job was. So if you were a senator, obviously you're above a, a House member, and then they go to like governors and then state legislatures, that sort of thing. We had so many new members, all Republicans, they had to go to a little known rule, the order in which your state was admitted to the union. Wow. Now, the stuff we got done, the changes to immigration, the changes to the death penalty, we had no death penalty in America. I mean, they've sort of rolled a lot of these changes back. They've rolled a lot of the immigration changes back. But one of the big changes that I remembered when I read the story, and that's what I wrote about, was it used to be kids could never get adopted. Mom, you know, the crack-addicted mom would put the baby in the vat of boiling water, and the judge would say, yep, going back to her. And so kids would be foster care mom would beat the crap out of her. Foster care, mom beats the crap out of her. And would go on for years. They'd never get adopted. So we passed a law, safety first, children safety first. And more than half as many kids have been saved by that, like a thousand a year. So I'm sorry, you ask about next year, and I just want Republicans to be serious and not be defeatist and not be like the Tea Party, because I also lived through that where we had, woohoo, Christine O'Donnell took out a rhino, took out a rhino. Yeah, okay, and we lost like half a dozen Senate seats and got Obamacare. Winning majorities is important. Winning majorities is fun. Please stop saying, um, you know, chaos, war. No, we, we have the upper hand right now. They are pushing crime. They are pushing open borders. They are pushing transgenders. Just keep your heads, Republicans, and stop doing the defeatist crap. I mean, thinking back to the Reagan years, um, nobody used the phrase rhino. I mean, there were moderate Republicans, <laughs> but the understanding was they're Republicans. I mean, there's a reason they have yes. an R they're at the end of their name. Mask. That's yeah. right. They're not fake, and we don't want to kick them out our job is to actually rein them in and bring them into the team. And I think that yes. the, the lesson of Reagan was that he was philosophically very grounded, but temperamentally very genial. The cocked head, the easygoing manner. And, and that allows people, even who are to the left of you, to go, okay, well, this guy's going to hear me out. He's going to meet me halfway. He, he has a, uh, a conservative destination, but he's pragmatic about getting from here to there. And we've lost all that. In fact, I would say that our defining characteristic on the right has been philosophically unsteady, but temperamentally fanatical. Yes. So well put. So you've got all these guys who are they're not that strong on the issues, but they're kooks. Yes. And, and, and God bless a, you. It's a really bad. It's a really bad combination. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned, I think. And um, I mean, my, you know, you mentioned the Trump DeSantis thing. I mean, to me, they both bring different things to the table. And in a healthy Republican Party, you'd have both elements. And what are the two elements I'm talking about here? Well, with DeSantis, a ruthless operational efficiency, which is critical <laughs> to government. Somebody who knows how to burrow into the bureaucracy, fire that guy, change this rule. That's really important stuff. But the other part of it is this. Um, well, it's the larger-than-life quality that I think Reagan had and, and Trump does have. I mean, if DeSantis walked into this room right now, we'd be like, hey, there's Ron DeSantis. But if Trump walked into this room right now, 
a kind of electric current would go through the room. And I've seen this happen time yeah. and time again. And I think that explains... That would be my mace going off. Well, it may, <laughs> it may be. And, but see, here, the point is you're telling us who you think the best guy for the job is. I think we have to explain why the majority of the Republican base is continually and naturally right. attracted to Trump. That's no, what I needs agree. explanation. I agree with you. And, and to um, put... Another way, what what you just put, you you remind me, this, this is what used to drive me crazy about Trump. You'd get these wild statements and the press would act as if once it comes out of his mouth, it's happened. And so our side would think, whoa, that's so great. He's going to end anchor babies. Yeah, yeah. But he never ended anchor babies. It's the follow you're concerned about. But he was what, we, what you want is you want to be like a duck. This is what you just remind me of, how um, you need you need to be, have a friendly demeanor and that sort of thing. You want to be floating peacefully on top of the water, but underneath, you're pedaling, 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 you're going crazy. Trump was exactly the reverse, above the water. It's crazy, nonsense, whoa, drowning, and nothing's actually happening. And nothing's happening below the water. Why, why do you think it is that, I think, what was about a year and a half ago, a year ago, Ron DeSantis was the favorite. He was polling. Uh, better. He in the prediction markets, he was in the top spot. Trump was in second place. As of right now, I'm predicted he's in third place behind Nikki Haley. What 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 causes the that? indictments, the utterly BS indictments against Trump? I think the left but how is that playing Nikki? us like that, playing the Republican Party like. Nikki Haley's beating Ron DeSantis in the okay, prediction market. First, let's deal with Trump, and then yeah. I'll deal with Nikki. But I mean, Anna, are you saying that you what think, I'm saying you think is, the left has orchestrated the indictments so that Trump does become the nominee? No, I think they genuinely, they're, they're, luckily, they're crazies. They're moving in the same direction. So you have the smart ones like Carville and Axelrod realizing, hey, if we keep doing these BS attacks, another Russian investigation would be great, but that won't work because that gins up people. It's totally unfair. It's like it, going to the doctor's office and he hits your knee with a metal pallet. You just you can't help when someone is, is being unfairly attacked and all except the, the Florida indictment is, is a real crime. Um, but put a pin in that. Um, he was dead in the water, Trump was. I mean, you can see it from the polling. When he announced nobody was there, nobody cared, he was dead. That's when DeSantis was beating him. And after that first indictment in New York, that's the first time Trump's polls went up and they won't stop talking about it and they keep doing these BS unfair indictments. So the smart ones, Axelrod and that type, are saying, this is fantastic, we're going to trick them into making Trump their nominee and that's our re-election plan for Joe Biden. And then the, you know, Joy Ann Reads and the entire MSNBC, um, the entire network, they just genuinely, genuinely hate Trump. So it works perfectly, perfectly together. But that's when his numbers went up. And I mean, we'll see what happens. But why, why wasn't DeSantis able to maintain the momentum that he initially had at it's, that point? It's Trump's numbers going up. If, if you look at the actual it's not like people are, are leaving DeSantis. And Nikki, I think it's the donors, um, the neocon mm -hmm. warmonger donors. She is perfect. So she's got Will Hurd's perfect perfect endorsement, them. the yeah. CIA operative. Yeah. If, we yeah, pull yeah. Up, if we pull up uh, 538's uh, polling aggregate, shows you uh, a bunch of the polls. I don't know if it's all of the polls, but it's a list of a large amount of polls. We can see in the latest that from Beacon Research and Shaw, which is a Fox News sponsored poll, Trump beats Biden by two points, Haley by four, DeSantis by two. And then in another one of their same polls, they found uh, Biden beating Trump by one. Interesting. We have this from Morning Consult showing DeSantis loses to Biden by three and Trump loses to Biden by one. 
There are a couple polls here that show uh, DeSantis performing worse than Donald Trump in this one, but still winning. Premise has DeSantis beating Biden by three points and two points. And then we have Trump beating. Uh, this is amazing. This is coming from Premise. Uh, Trump beating Biden by 10 points. I think the polls and the prediction markets are reflecting something. It's not. So I, I don't know. I think our next um, podcast should be in the Newt Gingrich Presidential Museum because he was crushing the polls December before the yep. election where he was wiped out. Or we could meet in the Rudy Giuliani Presidential Museum <laughs> the year before crushing, crushing the polls. No one came close. Or the Liddy Dole Presidential Museum. Now, she wasn't crushing them, but she was neck and neck with Bush. Yeah. Or the Fred Thompson presidential polls. The year before an election, it's mostly name recognition. Now, that it could still end up being the best, the most well-known name in the universe right now. But I don't think the polls right now mean very much. Mm -hmm. Granted that, I do think that we need to explain what's in front of us, right? We need to say why things are right now. Admittedly, things can change the way they are. And I think that with DeSantis, there is a there. I, and I like DeSantis and DeSantis was actually helpful to me when I had my case with the Obama administration. Uh, he was then uh, a congressman. Um, there's something a little prosaic about him. He feels like he's giving you kind of a, a policy lecture of sorts. The thing about Trump that is so paradoxical is that Trump lives in this sort of gold glittered Mar-a-Lago world. But there's a relatability to him that people pick up very quickly. I mean, I've seen in the just I mean, I'm talking about Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley. These are basically working class people. They love Trump. I mean, they they get in their cars and they make the big Trump train. Uh, they're not going to do a DeSantis train. They don't have that same connection with the guy. And it just it's just a, a I don't know if that's something that can be politically taught but you recognize it when you see it. I think you have we, to go with the Obama personality you have. I mean, you're right. Luckily, we don't have to run against Obama again. I think Obama was the most talented politician, certainly of my lifetime. Reagan would probably come in second. But um, now, I mean, forgetting their policies, for one thing, the country has kind of switched back and forth between someone with a charisma and someone with no charisma. So that is mm. helpful. But you have to go with who you are and what you are. I don't think Richard Nixon had a dazzling, charismatic personality. And um, except for a few things, he was an extremely good president. So yeah, he, Ian, Ian Crossland, who's on uh, Timcast IRL, said that he recently listened to a Trump, a Trump rally for like the first time. And it was hilarious. Then he comes back a couple days, you know, like yesterday, and he's like, he's considering voting for Trump for the first time. And I got invited to the White House a couple of years ago for the social media summit. And anybody who's been to a Trump rally, he's doing stand up. It is it is he it, is a comedian. It's political. Absolutely. It is. It, it's it's it's, you know, when I, I was, can't imagine this being his first time hearing a Trump rally by the Ian, 14th yes. time. Ian, it's yes. not so much fun. It's he's been saying the exact same things yeah, for but, seven but years. Yeah, but non-political people, people never hear And him. you and I go on book tours. We give speeches. We're giving the same speech 20 times, but not to the same people. So Ian, um, absolutely. I think, I think a lot of people. Ian's, Ian's, I think, very unusual if this is the first time I've seen, he's seen Trump speak. Uh, absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's true for a lot of people. Uh, I don't think so. Brandon, Brandon Strzok tells the story about how he just believed what the media had been saying. And then when he tried to debunk this claim, uh, he ended up actually proving Trump was right and the media was lying because he had never actually watched him speak before. A lot of people 
the only thing they hear from Trump is what the CNN or MSNBC is going to tell them. They don't actually listen to his they speeches. Th- in 2016, the media thought showing Trump was hurting him. You couldn't turn on CNN or MSNBC or a lot of C-SPAN. It was Fox that was against him then, of course. Um, it, his speeches were running 24-7. They thought it helped them. And Ian doesn't watch the news. Okay, like, like most I'm Americans. sure there are. Well, okay, that's why I don't trust the polls right now, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I think that is not... Um, I, I don't think that's proof of my... Well, so let, I think... But, I, let me put it this way. I think we're missing an element of Trump that makes him different than other politicians. Let's just say that we have a typical politician, Republican or Democrat, that meets with Kim Jong-un, you know, and comes out and is... They'll have a statement. Uh, the two of us conducted a discussion. Very substantive issues were raised. We raised our concerns about human rights, blah, blah, blah. People have heard this a hundred times. They tune it right out. Trump will come out and he'll be like, man, I, I, you know, I asked him if he knew what Rocket Man meant and I gave him a CD uh, and yeah. the room was, you know, he was a really <laughs> short guy and he was eating, you know, a pretzel while we were talking. And so people are like fascinated because they're like, I'm not in politics. I don't know what these summits are like. But when I listen to Trump, I'm listening to a real guy tell me that this guy's fat and he's thin and he (laughs) farted during our conversation and he was overeating, whereas every other politician is giving me a kind of a prepared memo. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a a lot of what... I don't find that attractive at all. I mean, maybe you do and young men do. It may not be attractive. It's interesting. In order to win elections, we need suburban women, we need independents, we need conservative Democrats, we need the rhinos you were talking about who do have the R after their name. And I think most of that crap from Trump, I mean, it was 100 percent worth it. There's a reason I wrote in Trump We Trust for the promises he was making. But and also when you talk about, you know, the bold statements and the things he comes out and says, yeah, what I remember was build the wall and I'm going to deport illegal so fast your head will spin. And um, dreamers, I want Americans to have dreams and um, gun free zones don't work. And then he gets elected and says, I'm in favor of taking their guns first. Oh, you guys are afraid of the NRA. Not me. Bump stock ban, yeah. uh, um, nothing on illegals, nothing on the wall. So I remember those. You can't really make those statements. And manifestly, so did a lot of his base voters, because the only demographic that went down compared to 2016 in 2020 was white men. And it went down a lot. And it went down in all those states across the upper Midwest that he needed to win. Oh, yeah. He, d- he didn't didn't need the NRA. Turns out maybe maybe he should have been afraid of the so NRA. So what gets those people back in the states that Trump needs to win? Or what gets independent voters this year? Is there one issue that you think? I mean, I, I assume you're going to say immigration. Of course, but, immigration. Of uh, course, immigration, crime, transgenders. I mean, the, the wokeness stuff and the one... The one thing, if I could advise DeSantis, the one way I think he should modify the wokeness thing is it's not just about kindergartners. And I think people are too focused on the schools on that. What is wokeness? It's anti-white racism plus cartoons of anal sex. That's basically (laughs) the full panoply of what it's the D.I.E. bureaucracies. It's the it's the race before merit thing. It's no longer deciding things on the basis of merit. It is the anti white male hatred. I mean, animates the left. But you said you said earlier in this very discussion that white people are the only group that have been taught to hate themselves. I think they uh, do and, it on and, their own. All right, they do it on their own, and, and well, maybe they're taught to do it. 
But how, how do you think then, then running a campaign appealing to white people and saying, in effect, that there's this anti-white ideology in the country, how is that going to be a winning technique? Well, manifestly, I don't think, I mean, if, if all white people were liberals, <laughs> oh, what a horrible, horrible thought, then we'd have no, we wouldn't get no, a single I'm, I'm vote saying working class white guys, working class white they guys. They don't hate white people. No, the vast majority of white people don't hate themselves. There are enough in European countries, there are enough in this country to have suicidal immigration policies, to have suicidal hiring policies, if it were 100%, then literally you might as well go and commit suicide. Republicans would never win a single election. Nothing would happen anyplace. But no, that obviously Trump got elected one time by appealing to mostly working class whites who hadn't voted for a long, long time. And but Mostly, I just think it's true, the anti-white racism. I think it's true and it's hurting everyone. I'm worried about, you know, the pilots they're hiring. I'm worried about the air traffic controllers they're hiring. It's destroying all of our lives and they're treating black people like, like they're children and patting them on the head when they're the shoplifting and the carjacking. But I would make the wokeness anti-white racism, crime and immigration. What are you? What do you think are getting independence in particular to the polls? Uh, I think that we just run a scorched earth campaign against Biden and what the Biden regime is doing. And so I what think, are the, the Biden regime's three biggest sins? Well, its biggest sin now is a wholesale assault on the basic liberty of Americans. I mean, when I came to America in the 70s, I was a teenager and there was a quick political debate going on. But one of the things that really consoled me or, or relieved me about America, I'm like, look, there are certain basic rights. They're right there in the Bill of Rights. It doesn't, not a, it's not a full compendium of our rights, but right to free speech, right to conscience, right to assemble. You can petition the government without fear for grievances, equal justice under the law. And I'm like, this is not op- up for political negotiation. It doesn't matter if 90% of people don't agree with me. They can't shut me up, Right. So now we fast forward to now, and I say that within two or three years, all these basic rights, every single one of them, is in serious jeopardy. I'm not even sure with a straight face I could say that we are, in, in a pure sense, a free country anymore. Uh, think of what the defining characteristics of tyrannical regimes are. Let's take North Korea, China, or the old Soviet Union. Mass surveillance of citizens, systematic censorship, wholesale indoctrination in the schools and the media, a one-party state. Police states are one-party states. They shut down the opposition. Doesn't mean they don't have elections. Iran has elections. China has elections. But it's a controlled opposition that's subordinate to the regime. Political prisoners. Criminalization of dissent. And I say, wow, we have all that right now in this country. So that's the point of making a movie called Police State, is saying we're not there yet. Obviously, if we were a full-fledged police state, I couldn't make this movie. I mean, I'd be locked up right now. But we are headed in with great speed and unexpected uh, rapidity uh, toward a country in which none of our rights anymore are safe. Do you feel like this is something that uh, the average American is aware of, or do you think that you know, inflation. They know about January 6th. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, what issues distract people? It's it's not that I don't agree with, your, disagree with your point, but, you know, when you are talking about a voter, if you say your rights are being stripped away, is that is that more impactful to them than saying you can't pay for groceries this month because right. inflation is so high? Well, yeah, it's not one or the other, right? I mean, just like you, you, you can be, you can have, you can run on the economy and you can run on the transgender issue. One doesn't contradict the other. But I think you have to, 
I mean, the reason to make a film is is to is to do a wake up call for people who are not woken up, right? If they were already woken up, the film is in a sense pointless. I kind of feel like the animal who's you know sees the predator in the trees. I'm trying to warn the herd, but the ordinary guy is saying no. The ordinary guy goes, "I'm not Trump, and you know I didn't go in the Capitol on January 6th, and I pay my taxes, so you know I'm never going to have the FBI come smashing through my door." And my point is, you could not be more wrong. Sure, because this thing has devolved uh, very quickly in a short time. Although yeah, it's I, awful what was done to the January 6th protesters. Um, and, and people should know about it, certainly people who watch this podcast and, and be annoyed by it. By and large, I would avoid bringing up January 6th. I wrote a book on mobs, demonic. They're always, always dangerous. It's the French Revolution versus the American Revolution. And when I wrote that book, and up until January 6th, I could say, without fear of contradiction, there has never been a right-wing mob. And January 6th, I, 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 I understand why people thought it was Antifa at first. I understand why the Capitol policeman said, no, we don't need, or I don't know, Nancy Pelosi, the rest of them, they weren't bringing in. There hadn't been a right-wing mob before, and now there's finally been one, and we're all going to be in the nursing home someday, and they're still going to be talking about January 6th. <laughs> it does not reflect well on us. They they well, were idiots. They shouldn't have gone to prison for you know two life terms and so on and so forth. <clears throat> what was done to Enrique Tario absolutely outrageous. But generally, well, why, I'd why, avoid talking about. Why it. be so deferential to the left? I, because I don't think it helps us for people to remember what happened on January 6th. I think that scares independents. I think it scares suburban moms. I think it pisses off a lot of Republicans. I mean, it kind of pisses me off. Um, both sides that they did it. And then the wild, crazy overreaction. I mean, this is my last book was Resistance is Futile. And the point of it was, and it, we're never, ever going to get away from it. Trump does something dumb. And then the left has such a crazy overreaction. I end up coming to his defense. No, yep. no he said something dumb, but he didn't kill three nuns. No MSNBC. He but didn't nail a kitten to, ca to this church doors. And they keep overreacting and forcing me to defend whether it's Trump or the January 6th people, your reaction is so out of proportion to everything that just happened. You're making me switch sides the, the, here. The, So the, the issue for me is that politics means very little. If the attitude everyone's going to have is when the left cries, we answer. Why? If, if they come out and they're like, Trump said a naughty word, I'll say, you're a moron. Have a nice day. Yes. You're, you, you're, the stories you're putting forward are meaningless to me. Yes. Oh, it, it, it's it, every single time there's a story that uh, uh, if, if, if something happens and uh, let's say there's a story that Andy No tweeted about a swastika appeared on some cars in a black neighborhood. The left went nuts. started screaming about it. Turns out it was a black man who did it. And then it's gone. Yeah. So exactly. the, if the if if the if the anti-establishment forces, conservatives, the right libertarians do not put all of their energy into cultural domination. It's pointless because the conversation we end up having is Donald Trump said a thing that was innocuous and, and it became front head, uh, front page right, news. Right. And we all must answer for it. No. Now it's start setting the news cycle. We need to set the we've, we've been doing it quite a bit. I should say, I mean, we as an anti-establishment forces calling out uh, Joe Biden on Burisma and keeping Hunter Biden in the spotlight, forcing them to answer to us. Exactly. And I think also what happens with things like January 6th is a kind of, uh, you know, the smoke arises and a narrative appears. And even we who know that the narrative is false start believing it. So, for example, they wanted to stop the count. Well, 
No, what was actually going on in January 6th in that building was challenging the election. That yeah. was the count that was stopped. It was the challenge that was stopped. So did did the people who go into that building, were they trying to stop the challenge? No. The Democrats actually had, had an incentive to stop the challenges. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the challenges were stopped because right yeah. after January 6th, it's like, okay, let's just go quickly and certify Joe Biden. So now you begin to see that the other side has a motive for having those people in the building. Yeah. Yep. And it, then it you discover- It was a more convoluted uh, fire it, alarm. Exactly. So that, the January 6th committee knows all this and they're like, listen, we can't let this cat out of the bag. So we need to construct a careful public narrative and make sure everybody signs on the dotted line. And this, 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 they this want people thinking about January 6th. They want to keep showing those videos because every time those videos are shown, no matter what, we know what happened later, and but it, do, it was not good for the right wing. And it was not good for freedom for that to happen. And what needs to happen is for every uh, anti-establishment media uh, outlet to run nonstop footage and videos of May 29th mm -hmm. when they firebombed the White House. Yes, yes, yes. But for some reason. Yes. Uh, or how about burning down the Minneapolis police station? That yeah. was un that was but the fire kicked it all fire off. Fire bombing the White House. Yep. I would say is actually worse. And attacking that beautiful church. And the church. They said they and yes. so they said uh, what ended up happening was they, it was the White House grounds that were firebombed. They set fire to uh, a guard post was torched and they torched the church across the street. There were thousands of far leftists, hundreds of of, of law enforcement injured, and I guarantee you if you go to a regular person and ask them about May 29th, they'll say, "Huh?" Yes, you're absolutely because right. Because what happens is May 29th happens and the right marches behind the New York Times. Too many Republicans care more about the opinion of the New York Times than their own constituents. And so the narrative is always framed by the left and Democrats. And I think, uh, could I, sorry, I just ahead. want to put a footnote onto that. Um, I don't think you can blame the Republicans for this. The left controls the media. They really, really do. Only because they let them. Because no, Republicans, no, Donald no. Trump keeps giving interviews to people who lie about <laughs> well, it. Well, that is true. Stop. That is true. We all these, and he, and he did not give interviews to the people who supported him during the campaign. But I, I just remember when I was working for the Senate Judiciary Committee, my friends would be Hunter. calling me saying, why aren't you covering, you know, X, Y, Z, this thing or the other thing? And I'd say, we just had three hearings on it. We've been putting out press releases. We're calling everyone, giving you this information. How do you not know? Blacklist them. Why Republicans? Oh, are, you are there. I agree with you, but they're still going to dominate the media. And yes, that's a very them, good point you're making. Let them not have access to any information coming from uh, from the right or the anti-establishment side. Let them be left. And by the way, you know on. who's following your policy? Who's it? Ron DeSantis. What well, didn't he do an interview with CNN? Very rarely. He's been he's been governor for what six years, and he you don't see him talking to the Good. liberal media. It's kind of hilarious, and they they're just really lie. bitter about it. I mean, every and it's funny because <laughs> all of the uh, 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 I guess anti-establishment personalities know this and will post the emails from look at an email from a journalist being like, "Hi, we'd like a comment," and they'll be like, "Screw off," and yeah. then they'll tweet it like, "No, they will lie." I, I, I always try to remind people, and for those that aren't familiar, I'll give you an example. No matter what you say to these people, they will lie. No matter what. I'll give you an example. Let's say you are emailed and asked about Israel Hamas, saying, we're wondering what your stance is and do you condemn the terror attacks? And you will, you will be like, I'm going to craft the perfect message and say, unequivocally, we denounce the killing of civilians. We think what Hamas did was an act of terror. 
and we are upset to see these things happen. We hope that peace can be attained and we're 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 concerned even with with Israel's responses. Let's all work together. You'll give them that quote. If they can't run it, what they'll do is in, they'll say, we reached out to Dinesh for comment, and he responded with fear and agitation. Clearly, it felt that he supported terrorism. No. They just won't run your quote. They'll, and, then, and then when you say, hey, that's not true, but it's my opinion. And you yep. can't do anything about it. Yep. So now, now, this is a very key point, I think, because it means that we need to have institutions that don't depend on them. So when I was an author, for example, writing books, I'd do a book tour, and I would gleefully give an interview to the New York Times knowing that they're out to stab me in mm -hmm. the back mm -hmm. because I'm an author, they're a huge, they've got a huge outlet, we don't have comparable outlets. The great power, and referred earlier to Jesse Helms, the great thing about Jesse Helms is he realized I can get reelected and I don't need the Raleigh News and Observer. I don't need a single of these outlets. I don't have to pander to them at all. So, we have to build those kinds of things. I've been trying to build a film company based on that. I, yeah. I've got people. I've got an email list of a million people. I've got lots of people to share my content. I don't have to return the New York Times' phone call mm -hmm. because I've created and cultivated my own audience. So we need to work harder at doing that in a lot of different spheres. And I know a lot of people who will say, I will only take your questions via email, and then I'm going to respond to you via email and That's then I'm going to independently publish my exact responses and the questions that you sent me. That's so what I do. Give one sentence response and never. I'll, I'll give you one funny example of this. What an idiot that guy was. Um, Jake Sherman, is he the one who wrote the book about ales? Could you Google that for me? Um, so anyway, whoever it was who was writing the book about ales kept, he knew everybody, I, every journalist I knew in New York, and they all keep saying, will you talk to him? Will you talk to him? Will you talk to him? And I kept saying, oh, absolutely. And he'd email me and he kept insisting that I call him. No way was I calling him. So I kept emailing back saying, sure, what's your question? Yeah. And by the way, I know, knew nothing about ales. I was a guest. I wasn't a host. Yeah. Um, and the other thing Gabe is Gabe Sherman, I Gabe, think Gabriel Sherman. Okay, so Gabe loudest Sherman. Voice. And then, so never talked to him because he wouldn't ask me a question by email or text. Mm -hmm. But the funniest thing was his book came out right when the Roger Ailes scandal was breaking and he knew nothing about <laughs> oh, it. Man. I mean, if that doesn't end a journalism career, and it didn't. It yeah. didn't. <laughs> well, the the other thing you do is if you're being you're doing a video interview, you video it too. Yeah, right. And that way you've got the context. You've got they put this out. Well, mm -hmm. I guess this is what somebody actually happened. Somebody just did that. Who did that? I can't remember. I mean, I I think remember somebody doing that, like Matt Gates or something. It, somebody it might just Matt, did that. I know people who this is like their standard practice. You cannot be alone, especially maybe with any journalist. And I and I say that as a pseudo journalist here on Timcast, but uh, any left wing journalist you have to just be prepared to come with your own facts later. I mean, it is like a, a Mike Pence rule with journalism, right? Like, you're not <laughs> going to lunch alone so you can misquote me. Uh, and I think that is sad because obviously we would like to have objective journalism that represents both sides. It's obviously a, 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 a lost fight because we have to then build other institutions that are willing to do that. Uh, but I wonder going into this next year, as we move towards a less traditional publication realm, I mean, it's not just the New York Times that you have to combat, but it's the influencers on Twitter, someone who you can get a quote to first. How do you, I mean, is maybe it's good because we have these other avenues of getting information out and maybe it's bad because certain uh, groups of people, independents, left-leaning, like socially left-leaning people will only ever look to mainstream publications for their information. I don't know what you think about that. 
Well, I think there are enough Tim Pools out there that it filters up to them. I, I One of my favorite hobbies is I, I do read the the trees and times every day. Um, you have to know what they're saying. But not what I really find fun is reading the comments. Mm. Um, and well, if you care anything about Trump, it's just going to be Trump bile, Trump bile, Trump bile, Trump bile. Um, but interestingly, for years, any article on immigration and even before the latest migrant crisis, um, it has been a very unpopular issue, even with New York Times readers. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, 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 but the merit stuff, I think, is not popular. I mean, this is what I'm saying about how we are sitting pretty with issues that are, I say, 80-20 popular. And those are the issues you want to run on. Those are the issues you want candidates <clears throat> talking about. You want it should be the merit stuff, the anti-white racism. You don't have to put it that way. You can talk about it as merit. Immigration, crime. They're going to notice how much groceries are, whether we tell them or not. But you can throw that one in. Um, and these are and the transgender stuff. These are 80, 20 issues. If we could just get Republicans to talk about nothing else, no matter what they are asked, come back to one of those four issues. Joe Biden's favorability and job approval dropped below 50 percent after the failure in Afghanistan. Surprisingly, a lot, a lot of Americans really cared about foreign policy, which was shocking to me that it was such a disaster. And I think it had to do with dead Americans. It had to do with it a looks bad. refugee crisis. And uh, uh, the story behind what happened was just shockingly appalling. Yeah, so that's the way you talk about foreign policy. The resurfacing of those weapons now with Hamas. If you can, and this is where cons conservative investigative journalism comes into play, because you know that the, the left is not going to be checking that one out. But if you can identify weaponry, rifles, bombs, rockets imported from Afghanistan through the jihadi network, that would be a very I'm, big story. I, I'm, so I, 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 I don't want to say this is confirmed. There's just rumors circulating that there's videos. Of some of the uh, jihadis have M4s. I, I don't know enough about it, but the, the argument basically being like these are not your typical weapons you see from like Russian era or Mujahideen or whatever. Like these, these look like they may have come from the U.S. But my point was simply what the left has done and what they're doing today with this global day of jihad. Someone, I, uh, there's a bunch of news coming out right now about um, uh, Hannah Claire Shed Cutter saying they're going to cut off oil or whatever. If the bombing doesn't stop. If the bombing doesn't stop. But you, the, so I saw a photo of someone, a protester, holding up a sign saying there is only one solution. That image just needs to be run by every Republican yes. across the board and says, please. And they, they don't need to come out and be like, the left are terrorists. Yep. You get a Republican on camera saying to my constituents, please, please, just do not support this. Here's an image of the left on campus calling for one solution against Israel. Whatever you think, we cannot support this. Thank you and have a nice day. Well, also, I think it's very important right now for concern. I mean, they are doing it, but to make sure that this connection between BLM and the left and progressive movement in this country and Hamas, they can't be allowed to brush this under the yes. rug. Mm -mm. The, every every ad right now for everyone running for office should be just showing the far left saying, chanting, there is only one solution. Mm -hmm. And then, and then just a heartfelt, please don't support them. Please I mean, don't. There are, there are, I've seen swastika images at these protests. You've also, there was, I don't know if that was in this country, but the people chanting gas the Jews. So, I mean, imagine having this stuff on video right. at your disposal they, for somebody. And they lie. There was, a, there was a video Andy No posted, a pro-Palestinian rally celebrating what was going on. And the speaker says, at pro-Palestine rallies, we say free, free Palestine. At white supremacist rallies, they say kill Arabs. 
That's not a chant used by anybody. No one's saying that. And then he says, this is hilarious. He says at uh, uh, at leftist protests, you see Palestinian flags at white supremacist rallies. You see Israeli flags. Mm -hmm. Then the ADL comes out and tweets white supremacists celebrate attack on Israel. And it's just like, I'm sorry, left. Your narrative is gone. It it is it is nonsensical and makes no sense at this point. There was a story that uh, uh, came out earlier this week. MSNBC. This is going to surprise you guys. You're in media. (laughs) MSNBC's ratings went down by 33 percent as war erupted. Really? That is shocking for anybody who knows anything about cable news. Cable news ratings skyrocket during wartime. MSNBC. And the argument is they decided to show a joint death count of Gaza and Israel and people stopped watching. Well, also that audience and I'm a regular MSNBC viewer, and even I can't do it anymore. It's 24 mm-hmm. 7 Trump, Trump, yep. Trump, 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 Trump. But the most boring, every little thing in every little case. So I always imagine these, you know, like the long haul COVID liberal women in New York City yep. sitting in their apartments obsessed. And what's going on with Trump now? So but think about this Israel has nothing to do with Trump. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've covered uh, conflict and crisis, uh, I've not covered overt war, but uh, I was in uh, Ukraine right before it became civil war. There's Molotov, there's firebombs. I've been in places, I was in Ferguson getting shot at. I have seen some some pretty intense situations. And when the story came out that the former Hamas leader called for a global day of jihad, I felt, uh, my, my heart sank a little bit. I felt a, a grip in the pit of my stomach like, oh crap. Like this is worrying even to me, mm-hmm. right? Knowing what I know. Imagine what those suburban moms are feeling right now when the police put out yes. a notice to their homes saying Hamas is calling for ter- uh, for terror and jihad. They're probably worried. My kids are going to school. They're calling the school. Is everything going to be okay? Do I have to worry about this? And then they see BLM saying, we love it. Mm-hmm. That's the commercial that Republicans need to run. Yes. You have the, the Tufts University Justice for Palestine group calling it uh, creative. They said they're, they're praising their creative solutions. Isn't that crazy? Wait, what's the creative? Oh, they're calling the they were calling the attack, the attack creative? creative. That was the Tufts University quote from <laughs> well, this. Is, there's, this this thing has sent an, a kind of a uh, a, a shiver of delight throughout the the whole jihadi world because normally these guys are used to getting their butts kicked by Israel. Yep. I mean, Israel. Think of all the wars. I mean. Eight countries attack Israel. Israel kind of pistol whips them all and then kind of dusts off. And so being able to penetrate Israeli territory, have your way with Israeli homes, you know, this has been uh, kind of a fun fest for these characters. But you're right. I think politically it's it's, BLM. Suburban moms worried about their kids right now are asking themselves, are my children going to be safe from these Hamas terror attacks? Now, that's not overtly political. That's a fear everyone's going to have. But then when you see the far left and Black Lives Matter celebrating it, they're celebrating your fear and your terror. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I've I've watched a lot of these videos. I'm sure you guys have too. What I notice is of the of the um, of the Arabs, let's call them, um, because they could be Christian, but could be Muslim. They all seem to have, and these are the protests in this country. Um, I'd say 90% of them have have the, have a foreign accent. These are immigrants, and of the ones with at these rallies with pure American accents, it's very, very heavily black people from the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, this is, uh, we learned, Patrice Cullors. Yep. Uh, she she said in 2015, they wanted to end Israel. Like, what, what, what does anyone think that means? Yeah. Do they think it just means that they changed the name and everyone holds hands under a rainbow? No, that's not what it means. Okay, can you look up, you guys have computers, look up some of the biggest donors to BLM. I know we had a lot of celebrities. 
Tons. And are they saying uh, major anything? Major corporations poured yeah, yeah, tons d- of money I into these companies. I think this would be a good time I mean, to list some of these. Yeah. yeah. It's not just the Hollywood elite. Cisco, I mean, it's, this Ease, is like Etsy, Bank of Grubhub. America. And, you know, going. the run-of-the-mill big corporations pouring money into BLM. How about Jeff Bezos? IBM, Microsoft, yeah. Niantic, Peloton, Reddit, ooh, Shopify, Uber, Comcast, Slack, PayPal, Andreessen Horowitz. Oh, that one's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> Bumble, DocuSign, DoorDash, Match, and this is a website that's praising their support. It's like, look for companies oh, that support Bezos's BLM. Oh, and Bezos' wife. I don't think Bezos would have done it. Um, he probably gave to historically black colleges, but how this, about Bezos' wife? I don't know, but this one's shocking. Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> ben and Jerry's gave, they, yeah, they also Where's made a their flavor. Statement? Where's their statement? <laughs> no, for real. Why, why would anyone want to be buying Ben and Jerry's when yep. they've overtly supported this? It's crazy. Netflix, Bank of America, man. Oh, I remember Bank of America. You know, for the first time with the Harvard case, when uh, two things happened, one is that there started to be exposés of what these students and these left-wing organizations were doing, corporate guys saying, we're going to, we want a list of these guys, so we don't hire them, you know? Yep. And then I think it was Accuracy in Media, one of the conservative groups took a bus and put these guys' names on the bus mm-hmm. and were driving all over Boston and Harvard Square. And apparently these people are freaking out and all pulling their names now as signatories. Normally, our side doesn't have the ingenuity or the imagination mm-hmm. to pull this kind of thing off. It's always the left. They're, I they're, wish they're, they hadn't done it so quickly. I want to lure more of them into our trap. Did, did, before, did, uh, we before we unlock. Yeah, you, you, you guys know that... Uh, swastikas were extremely common in the United States in like the early 1900s. Oh yeah, before very, Hitler, it was a very popular cross. So I went to an antique store and uh, this is in Austin and the guy actually had swastika keychains and a bunch of, and I was kind of shocked by that. I was like, aren't you concerned that like someone's going to come and he's like, I don't care. I know what these things are. Right. Uh, it's an antique store. We're representing what the, they were. When the Nazis came in, they took the symbol. But I, I think about what's really interesting in that there was a lot of support for Nazis in the United States before World War II. There were people in the U.S. who were like, hey, we like these ideas. I wonder if what we're seeing now, imagining the basketball courts with Black Lives Matter, the billboards, if there will come a time in 20 or 30 years or maybe 50 where they look back and like, can you believe they were supporting these these anti-Semitic groups? Right. And they didn't. Re- and then and then one and then what we talk about is after World War Two, everyone kind of says like, oh, we, we, you know, we start getting rid of the stuff saying it was bad. We don't want to be involved in this. And all of a sudden, everyone just recoiled. Yeah. I think it was like uh, the Bush family had were, were, were Nazis like early on before World War Two because it was more common in the United States. Now, I think with what's happening with Hamas and even after. You've got these bank CEOs saying we're going to blacklist all these Harvard students. There are Harvard students panicking, being like, no, 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 no. A bunch of college students are doubling down. That Yale professor is saying settlers aren't civilians. They're doubling down. They're marching through I the streets. I think they're going to spring back on this one. I don't think this one will last. Um, just a prediction. I don't know. Um, because, no, the black thing in America, it's always, always going to be, no, we must treat them like children. That's the liberal approach. Yes, but the, but, the organization... Right, so the swastika wasn't an evil symbol when it when they it started. They may change the name, but it's going to sure. be the same. Oh, nonsense. but sure, sure. But my point the one is, one thing gonna, I think gonna, we gonna, may gonna, have just to finish my point. Uh, I'm saying we're gonna we're gonna look back at Black Lives Matter like we do the swastika. I, we're gonna say these groups were were evil terrorists. You're right. I think they're gonna weasel out of it. I'm, that's just my prediction. I think the one we are gonna look back at as if it, it's Dr. Mengele is the poisoning and mutilating of adolescents. Well, yeah, like lobotomies. I mean, we look yeah. at these documents. I think are- that is going to be like a lobotomy, like Dr. Mengele, but they're going to weasel out the Black Lives Matter. But the, but look. We'll see. 
Certainly, I hope you're right. certainly we can argue the, the eugenicists <laughs> changed their names, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they said, oh, we don't, we're not for that anymore, but Planned Parenthood still exists overwhelmingly in minority neighborhoods or near them. Because they need it, apparently. But so <laughs> I, I think the branding of BLM is this, this, this I, I can't imagine the recovery of, of the brand Black Lives Matter. I yeah. hope you, you're you, right. You, you already had the corruption scandal. You've already had questions about where all the money went. Donations are already drying up because people are pissed off about this. And now you've got them posting in direct support for overt acts of terror and the killing of children. It's like, dude, and if, if they can recover from killing children, I don't know, man. They've gotten thousands upon thousands more black people killed because of Black Lives Matter. You notice that's not one of the reasons they may go under. There is a fa- very famous <laughs> viral video where two white women are vandalizing a black neighborhood with young black women begging them to stop saying, what do you think you're doing? Like, don't worry, we're doing this for you. And they're like, you're destroying our home. Like, get out of here. That's Wait, they, explain that video again. There are two white, uh, it might, it might, uh, it's like two white Antifa. It might be, might be dudes. And they're like vandalizing property during a riot in in black garb and there are two local black Antifa, women Antifa got it yeah okay. and there's two black women being like what the f- do you think you're doing <laughs> and they're like we're, we're helping you and she's like no you're not you're destroying our neighborhood get out of here when i was in ferguson that's what i saw mm-hmm. the the locals mostly black were like they linked arms to protect the liquor store that was being looted and vandalized saying oh. these people are are stealing from us please help what did the white leftists write they wrote in defense of looting that the people in Ferguson looting yes. were, were resisting the machine. I'm like, the locals in the neighborhood were begging for help because yes. their neighbor was being destroyed. And, and the Black Lives Matter rioters, half of whom are white liberals, yep. were engaging in the destruction of this neighborhood. Well, the white liberals think they know better. I mean, it's exactly Anne's yeah. point from earlier. There's an infantilization. We know that this is going to help you. So even though you are saying you're hurting my actual property, <laughs> you don't understand. And that I mean, I just don't understand how if you were a black voter in America, you can look at the past four years and say this has been good for me yeah. right and i wonder how that will play out in 2024 it is remarkable when you look at the polls yeah i mean the, the, the genius of the left is to destroy a city and yet nevertheless be able to count on that city putting democrats and in some cases chicago <laughs> being a classic example it's the far left democrat that gets, that gets yep. elected the next round yep. it's like wow you're not tired of getting kicked in the face you want some but more did you did you guys look I, I actually tracked this when the chicago election happened did you look at the breakdown of the city by who who, who they voted for almost 100 percent, except for one area the neighborhoods voted based on race that's it the Latino neighborhoods voted for the Latino. The white neighborhoods voted for the white guy. The black neighborhoods voted for the black candidate. And when you look at the black neighborhoods in Chicago, the top three candidates among their choices, all black. When you look at the white neighborhood, it's like white and then like white and then like Hispanic and then black. The one neighborhood that was different was the uh, 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 the northern part of the city, which is more left liberal, like woke. And this was a majority white area that voted for the far leftist uh, Brandon Johnson. (laughs) What I found fascinating is that was basically the deciding factor that the woke people who are white, white liberals voted in. But it was it was fascinating to me. It's unfortunate that you look at a city like Chicago, which is very racially segregated uh, and mostly by choice. The people choose to live in these areas based on race. And they only vote based on race. Not all of them, but like overwhelmingly, that's clearly in the in the in the in the in the electoral election map. Tim, it's our greatest strength. You know, oh, well, I mean, you can argue about <laughs> I, 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 I'm being sarcastic. No, no, I understand. <laughs> I'm saying it's it's these neighborhoods aren't diverse. 
right? The, the no, over, it overall isn't meal. diversity. It's what, you know what, um, I, what I think Dinesh was saying. It's all these little ethnic ghettos, and it's getting worse and worse, and balkanization. And yep. I mean, we're importing these ethnic hatreds. I love when we see these videos of two two groups from a country. I've barely heard of the country. I certainly heard, haven't heard of the two groups that hate one another. And they're fighting. Why are we importing these ethnic conflicts? This yeah. isn't our problem. You know, what I find interesting about is these cities is that it looks like there are two distinct leftist models of destroying a city. They're not the same. <laughs> there's the Chicago model and there's the San Francisco model. Ah, uh, yes. Now, in the San Francisco model, the murder rate in the city, not that high. But the However, rate. exactly. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is, you can't go anywhere in San Francisco without some homeless guy, you know, giving you the finger or taking your chicken wing off your plate. It's a low-level harassment, but it's throughout the city. Now go to Chicago, and it's very different. All the violence is in one area. It's concentrated. So there are other parts of the city that are completely fine. But if you go into this area, mm-hmm. gunshots, run for your life, mm-hmm. and so it's almost like. The, the left has accommodated to both. In Chicago, they accommodate <laughs> by saying, listen, I don't live there. That's not my neighborhood. I'm not going to get shot. Right. So I'm perfectly safe where I am. And I can even vote for this kind of stuff because um, that'll make me cool. In San Francisco, they go, well, I'm not going to get killed. Yeah, some homeless guy is going to be <laughs> shouting at me. And he's obviously- He might steal my car. He might steal my car. He's obviously nuts. But I, my compassion is not going to cost me that much. Mm. So they're able to take the stance- in both places, but on a different rationale. And, yep. and, and both cities get wrecked in the process. And both cities I mean, get and wrecked. I think this is true of immigration, too. I was just reading the study that uh, Louisiana's, uh, so of the homes in Louisiana where English isn't the first language, it used to be French. French was the dominant language, and obviously there's a historical aspect to this. And it's a unique culture to Louisiana, mm-hmm. which we lose, uh, you know, we lose Cajun and all, all these other things. And now the second most common language spoken in the home outside of English is Spanish. So we're about to lose an entirely unique American culture oh, yeah. because we did not, number one, maintain it. We did not say, hey, this is cool and interesting. You guys have this. And we also allowed Louisiana, which is close to the border, close to Gulf of Mexico, uh, to ha- be affected by our devastating immigration. So we are letting all of these left policies, both ap- apathy within the two cities, these justifications for allowing violence or homelessness or crime, as well as not letting any of these cities protect their unique and cultural to heritage. to point, it's not diverse. It's all Hispanic. Well, it's, it's, it's segregated. <laughs> no, oh. but the, the country isn't... Like what um, Hannah was saying is Louisiana, very French-influenced, the French food, the way languages. Yeah. And it doesn't law. exist outside of Louisiana. It does this not. Is unique not only to the U.S., but to Louisiana, and we're and about we to let it die. we had all these little areas that, that were really part of historic America. Now it's all going to be overwhelmed Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I want to... <laughs> We're, we're, our culture. we're just about getting ready to wrap up, so we'll do final thoughts. And the, the last thing I want to mention on this topic uh, before we close out is if you look at the southern border, like in Texas, where uh, many people live, they're flying Mexican flags. Yep. So you wonder about the mass influx of non-citizens on the southern border, and then the people acquiring this property are flying the flag of the neighboring nation. It makes you wonder about the jurisdiction of this property. But uh, uh, final thoughts, you guys, as we, we wrap up. Anne? What will you be doing to celebrate the Global Day of Jihad? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> best um, line of the hiring, day. Hiring security and <laughs> staying downstairs. I will be traveling, so let me just say I totally feel for the Palestinians. <laughs> is that enough? Yeah. Is that good? No, actually, the only thing I want to say is what I keep not saying, annculter.substack.com. I have columns. I have podcasts. Um, a few with Heather McDonald, whom I've mentioned here, Sam Quinones of Dreamland about drugs. Very, very interesting. Um, and I just send out jokes because I got sick of being shadow banned on Twitter. So it's a lot of fun and most of it's free. <laughs> right on. Here's my promo. Um, new film coming out in a couple of weeks, um, October 23rd and 25th. It's going to be in hundreds of theaters. But you can't buy tickets at Fandango or the theater. You have to go to policestatefilm.net. And if you can't go to the theater, October 27th, virtual premiere. Uh, we screened the film live Q&A with Dan Bongino and me to follow. And um, so policestatefilm.net is the place to go. Nice. And should anyone follow you guys on Twitter or any other social media channels? I guess so. But you should go directly to at Ann Coulter because otherwise it you won't, won't show it. up in your feed. What about you? <laughs> How many theaters is it going to be in? It's going to be in about 700 theaters. And the cool thing is on our website, you just put in your zip code and boom, all the theaters around you will pop up. So it oh, makes okay. it easy. Uh, also, you know, it's a fun movie to go in a group. So because you go with like-minded people, you get all fired up, you have lots to say. And you can talk about it right afterwards. So it's good to go with family or with a church group or go with your Republican or conservative friends. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll cool. definitely check it out. Uh, well, I'm Hannah Claire Brimlow. I'm a writer for TimCast.com. I think you should go there immediately, click on the read tab and read all of of our articles. I'm hoping to get something up on the Navy and steroids today at Chris Carr, our editor. Please be patient with me. Uh, you should follow <laughs> at TimCast News on all social media. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at HC Brimlow and on Instagram at HannahClare.B. I'm so grateful that you guys had me on today. This was so fun. Yeah. And uh, Callan pressing the buttons. I don't know if you want to. I do not have a camera, but here I am. Oh, right. It was on. a great show. Great, great, great. Yeah, great thank show. you. Thank you both. It was for... fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. This guys. was great. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Everybody uh, become a member at TimCast.com to support our work, join our Discord server, hang out with like minded individuals. We're going to have another show tonight at TimCast IRL, YouTube.com slash TimCast IRL. Thanks so much for hanging out. We'll see you all then.